You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 575. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 21st of June, 2023. Argentinian flight attendant calls it a bomb threat against a plane carrying her ex-boyfriend and his new girlfriend. The NTSB says the flight crew of a freighter had to ditch off of Hawaii because they misidentified the engine that was failing. More news and your feedback. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger and Flight 575 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He is an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guys show, uh, the best aviation podcast in the universe, covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in the United States of America. And joining me from his studio... In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. A professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Good evening, Jeff. On a lovely summer's evening here on the longest day. It's not going to be dark for very long today. Oh, yeah. Good point. I forgot completely about that. All right. Good to see you, Captain Nick. Also joining us from his home studio in the air capital low and slow pilot amp mechanic old airplane enthusiast and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry it's nick camacho hey captain jeff i'm uh, glad we could uh, get back together here it's been a little bit i've been around good to have you with us again today and also from a place to stand a place to grow Retired financier, aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer-director in Ontario, Canada, it's Liz Piper. Hello, everybody. Happy summer 2023. Yay! Yay! All right. Except now the days start getting shorter again. Boo. Oh. Anyway. Oh, well. All right, guys. Have a good show. Okay. Thanks, Liz. And let's go right to aviation news. Stand by for news. All right. Our first item from the Aviation Herald, uh, a West Atlantic AV, uh, ATR 72-200 registration golf uh, Charlie Lehman November Kilo 
performing Freight Flight NTP 905 from Jersey uh, to East Midlands in the UK with three crew, landed on East Midlands Runway 9 at 2141 local time when the aircraft slowed to about 80 knots, but then veered to the right. A nose wheel tire damaged a runway edge light. On June 8, 2023, uh, the UK's AAIB Air Accidents Investigation Branch released their final bulletin, concluding the probable cause of the serious incident was after landing in a light crosswind, as the aircraft decelerated through 80 knots, it swerved right and hit a runway edge light. The loss of directional control probably occurred because of insufficient into-wind aileron. The recovery of directional control was delayed by the use of nosewheel steering through the tiller rather than the use of rudder. Uh, the ATSB reported that both pilots, uh, the captain, 61 years old, ATPL, 11,011 hours total, a lot of time, uh, but only 63 hours on this type. Uh, he was the pilot flying. The first officer had recently converted to the ATR-72. The captain had previously previously flown uh, BAE ATPs. Uh, the uh, Air Transportation Safety Board summarized the sequence of events. Uh, they were operating from Jersey Airport to East Midlands and made a radar vectored autopilot coupled approach to runway 9. During the approach, the reported wind at the airport obtained by the pilots was 150 degrees at 10 knots. Okay, so you got runway 9, 150 at 10, so it's a right quartering crosswind. Not a lot uh, of direct crosswind there. Uh, the commander was the pilot flying. He stabilized the approach by 1,000 feet, then established the aircraft with a slight crab into the wind and power set at 25% torque. In the latter stages of the approach, the commander disconnected the autopilot, removed the small amount of crab in the flare, and touched down aligned with the runway. Okay, so far, so good. Once all wheels were on the runway, he selected ground idle, and as the aircraft continued to decelerate along the runway, it began to swerve to the right. He handed control to the co-pilot and applied left nose wheel tiller to straighten the aircraft. The commander noticed that the right wing lifted, which he ascribed to the turn to the right in, com in combination with the crosswind from the right. The commander then applied more tiller input to, to the left, aided by the application of left pedal and differential left brake input by the co-pilot, to which the aircraft slowly began to respond. During the landing roll, the commander reported seeing an object on the runway ahead and to the left. Review of the closed-circuit uh, TV subsequently showed a spark under the aircraft during the landing roll. The METAR for the airport valid at the time of landing reported wind 140 at 12 knots. The commander reported the excursion to air traffic control and a runway inspection was carried out, which reported a broken edge light. An engineering inspection found damage to the tire of the nose wheel, which was replaced. The tire of the nose wheel? <laughs> okay. Uh, I think that's the same thing, isn't it? Nose wheel and tire. Um, the AAIB analyzer was probably insufficient into wind aileron applied during the landing roll, uh, both before and after the handover control, which I'm still wondering about, actually, uh, which resulted in the upwind wing lifting and the aircraft turning into the wind, what we call weather vaning. Weather vaning. The initial attempt to correct the turn by nose wheel steering through the use of tiller rather than the use of rudder to maintain directional control was also likely contributed to the runway excursion. 
Uh, let's see. The manufacturer's guidance indicates that the use of rudder above 70 knots instead of the tiller would have resulted in better control. And that's what I've always learned and practiced, and I'm sure you guys probably the same. Uh, discuss. I, cocking. Sure. All right. Excuse me? But that has nothing to do yeah. with this podcast. That's the triple <laughs> no. X version of we, the uh, ABG. We over here, just to prevent any confusion amongst uh, English-speaking audiences, uh, we call it weather cocking. Mm -hmm. Okay. Fine. <laughs> but All right. whether um, you call it weather veining or weather cocking, that's just something that naturally occurs. Yeah, you guys are vain. Um, I was just going to so say, bad. I wonder if this aircraft has no so steering which is connected to the rudder pedals. Uh, um, certainly bigger aircraft do. I don't know about this one. Oh. Okay. Uh, so does he have nose no steering, steering through, the through the rudder? Uh, that would be about the only thing I can think of. I mean, if the aircraft starts drifting and you're still uh, uh, pretty close to flying speed, I would have thought it'd be quite instinctive to use the rudders to keep the aircraft straight, certainly in, until you get down below... Well, as their manufacturer says, 70 knots. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that would be my first instinct. And particularly if you've got nasal steering that's connected to the rudder, you'll get the best of both worlds. You'll get the nose wheel helping you and, of course, the directional control from the fin, from the rudder on the fin helping you. Uh, it's it's a pretty well-known effect, uh, whether cocking or veining. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just the action of the, the crosswind on the big fin, uh, tending to push the, uh, nose of the aircraft into wind, which in this case will be to the right. Uh, but it, I mean, it's not like it was a hugely strong crosswind. Uh, and I don't know about you, Jeff, but you wouldn't perhaps be as sensitive to it as I would because I flew aircraft with potted engines that are pretty damn close to the ground. So, on the 340 and the 330, we were very conscious of the amount of angle of bank we had on the aircraft as we were on the runway or in the process of landing because, of course, you let a wing drop a little bit, you can scrape all hell out of uh, your wing pods, the engine pods. Perhaps he wasn't as sensitive to this, but I it's one of those things that we were very disciplined about, it, keeping the wings very level uh, during a landing phase. Um, so th letting that wing come up um, surprises me. And, um, of course, that is quite likely to, you know, anyone who's driven a three-wheeler, and not many of us have probably, is, is quite likely to cause the airplane to scoot, um, uh, you know, or become difficult to control directionally. Uh, so all that combined, but I'm with you. Uh, you raised your eyebrows at the technique of handing over control to the cope the first officer um perhaps it's a function of him wanting to go for the tiller i don't know whether that required him to release the controls in some manner um but i don't know about that does it require i mean if you have to use the tiller on that particular aircraft does that mean that you can't maintain proper um you know controls with the you know the regular control surfaces i'm sure we've got some uh, atr pilots listening so. perhaps yeah. one of them would be kind enough to respond to us yeah that as soon as i read that i went what and and the fact that they didn't mention it in their report as a possible um contribution to this maybe it's because oh yeah well you can't 
use the tiller, the steering tiller, and, you know, act, you know, fly the yoke and the rudder pedals and all that kind of stuff all at the same time. I don't know. It just doesn't sound right yep. to me. But you, yep. as you said, as you mentioned, instinctively is, is a key here that, you know, as soon as you, um, you uh, take out a crab and you still have that wind, that wind's still out there, you have to just instinctively put the left rudder in and put the right aileron or the right, you know, the, the yoke into the wind to keep the um, right wing from flying up. It's just a, something you learn from very early on um, when you're learning to fly. So Absolutely, yeah. So, mm-hmm. and, and apart from anything else, I mean, he had a, a bit of a wiggle on the runway. No one would have said a word if he hadn't hit one under the runway lights, I think. <laughs> so he didn't actually leave the runway, I don't think. You know, I guess the runway light was right on the edge, so he came close to it. But uh, and he, he hit it with his nose wheel, so I'm a bit surprised about that. I thought the main wheel would have been, would have been the thing, but uh, uh, anyway, uh, I, not a not a major problem. Just a bit of a you know a, a, probably a refly, a bit of extra instruction on the techniques for this aircraft if he was used to something that handled differently. I required, and I'm sure he's happily carrying on and probably forgotten all about it until he listens to the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're listening to the show, Sorry. our apologies. <laughs> yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah. When did this happen? Happened last year. So that means he's probably 62 now. He's getting close to retirement anyway. I say, yeah. hey, <laughs> yes. just go ahead and retire. Just pack it in. forget about it. Yeah. Pack it in. Forget about all this stuff yeah. and get on with your life. Next accident. Next accident is from Aviation Herald. So we did um, cover this uh, incident, accident actually, um, after it, hap- it had happened. And I do remember playing the live ATC uh, tapes, communication. And uh, one of the, the this company's other uh, flights, I think they were coming into Honolulu International. And there was some confusion about the call signs, very similar call signs. And uh, it, the um, accident flight had a little trouble right off the bat with um, making uh, the air traffic control tower understand that they were declaring an emergency. And then I think they ended up taking the wrong heading instruction uh, meant for the other jet. And uh, so there's a lot of confusion going on there. But they finally were able to express to air traffic control that they were uh, having a problem with their engine and that they were declaring an emergency and wanted to return right away. And so they were vectored around. At some point, they lost um, sight of the airport. This was at night, uh, but they got so low out there south of the airport that uh, they just couldn't see the airport anymore. And then they thought, uh-oh, we're, we, not only do we have engine issues with the left hand, but it uh, looks like we have a number two engine problem as well. And then they were given vectors to another airport a little bit closer. Uh, let's see, which what was the name of that one? Uh, Kalayaloa uh, Airport. Uh, and uh, that's a little bit to the uh, west of Honolulu International Airport. Um, and uh, I think it used to be, or maybe it still is, a, uh, a Coast Guard, U.S. Coast Guard facility uh, station there as well. But anyway... Um, but they didn't make it to that airport either. They ended up um, ditching the aircraft into the Pacific Ocean about two miles from uh, Kalealoa uh, Airport. There's a, an image of the 
front portion of the 737-200 uh, on the ocean floor and uh, some bits and pieces of it. Um, you know, there are some largely intact um, pieces there on the ocean surface. Floor. But uh, they... Uh, what? Not the surface. I mean, sorry, of the ocean floor. Thank you, not the ocean surface. And uh, so the NTSB sent out some investigators and started uh, uh, analyzing this. It looks like on the 16th of June, just a few days ago, the NTSB released their final report concluding the probable, probable cause of the accident was the flight crew member's misidentification of the damaged engine after leveling off the air, airplane and reducing thrust and their use of only the damaged engine for thrust during the remainder of the flight, resulting in an unintentional descent and forced ditching into the Pacific Ocean. Contributing to the accident were the flight crew's ineffective crew resource management, high workload, and stress. Um, so it starts off by talking about what I just kind of summarized uh, happened there, and I'm um, going to get to this part of the uh, analysis. The process of declaring the emergency to air traffic control took 1 minute 53 seconds. During a post-accident interview, the captain stated that his communications with the controller became a project, and then it took a while for ATC to know what was going on regarding the emergency. The captain added that those communications took too much of his time away from the cockpit, although frequency congestion imp impeded the captain's efforts to declare an emergency to ATC, the captain could have entered squat code 7700, indicating an emergency situation, into the transponder and deferred further radio communications until after the first officer stabilized the aircraft in level flight. In addition, about 25 seconds after the previous exchange between the controller and captain ended, the controller asked for, for more information about the emergency, including which engine was affected. The operator's simulator guide stated that after declaring an emergency involving a single engine failure after V1, the captain could provide additional information to ATC when time permitted. Because further communication with ATC was not a priority at the time, the captain responded appropriately to the controllers by stating that he could provide the information later. The simulator guide also stated that after declaring an emergency to ATC, <coughs> excuse me, Selecting flaps to the up position, reducing thrust, and establishing the airplane's climb at 210 knots. The pilot flying was to fly, navigate, and communicate. Aviate, navigate, communicate. Oh, okay, I'm just not used to looking at it as fly, navigate, and communicate. Uh, and the pilot monitoring was to reconfirm the failure. However, much of the captain's time by this point in flight was spent listening and responding to ATC, ATC transmissions. Thus, communications between the captain and controller after the onset of the emergency caused interruptions that delayed the flight crew's efforts to address their emergency situation. Maybe too much emphasis on communication here. While the captain was communicating with the controller, the first officer as the pilot flying in incrementally reduced left and then right engine thrust to near flight idle so that the airplane could slow down after leveling off. The first officer stated that he had been trained in the simulator to move the thrust levers together until the crew was ready to confirm the affected engine. Thus, the first officer's decision to independently move the left and then the right thrust lever was inappropriate. When the captain turned his attention back to the airplane after communicating with the controller, both engines were near flight idle. The EPR was 1.05 and 1.12 for the left and right engine, respectively. 
Airspeed was 227 knots and decreasing. The captain commanded a speed of 220 and then announced that he was taking control of the airplane. Flight data recorder data indicated that the captain did not promptly increase thrust after the airspeed subsequently dropped below the 220 knot target speed. During a post-accident interview, the captain stated he was unaware that the first officer had reduced left engine thrust to near flight idle. The captain's lack of awareness of the first officer's thrust reductions played a role in his handling of the in-flight emergency. Uh, About four minutes elapsed between the time of the flight crew's correct identification of the right engine as the affected engine and the first officer's incorrect assessment about the left engine. This amount of time played a role in the first officer's misidentification of the left engine as the affected engine. The first officer had a high workload during that time as the pilot flying. He had to, among other things, closely monitor basic flight parameters, fly the airplane to achieve the target airspeed, altitude, and heading. The first officer was also dealing with interruptions due to the interspersing of various operational tasks. Although the first officer had previously previously verbalized that the right engine had lost power, the first officer's workload demands left few opportunities for him to commit that information to memory. Okay. In addition, after the airplane had leveled off and the left and right EPRs had been reduced to near-flight idle, no ad- adverse yaw, the primary cue indicating that the right engine was affected, was occurring, and the engine indications were ambiguous because both were producing low thrust, with the EPR on the left and right engines at 1.05 and 1.12. Yeah, because you have both of the thrust levers back at idle. Although thrust was low on both engines, the first officer might have thought that the left engine was affected because its EPR level was lower, actually lower than the right. For that to be the case, the first officer would have had to have forgotten his earlier actions of pulling back the power on the left operational engine and then the right to engine, uh, right engine to reduce speed. Um, okay, then they have a, a quick little thing. I guess he was taking prescription medications, the uh, first officer. Uh, but they uh, analyzed that uh, the potential side effects of these medications found that their use uh, likely did not play a role in this accident. They also considered fatigue, uh, even though the errors that the first officer made were consistent with the effects of fatigue, the evidence supporting fatigue was inconclusive. The captain initially questioned the first officer's assessment, stating number one is gone, but then accepted the assessment and stated, so we have number two. At that time, no salient cue was available to indicate which engine was affected. Uh, the captain remembered his initial assessment that the right engine was affected, but stated that he had assumed that the first officer had a better understanding of the engine status because he was flying the airplane when the captain was communicating the emergency to ATC. The captain had confidence in his first officer's assessment of the affected engine based on their flight experience together. During a post-accident interview, the captain stated that his first officer never makes a mistake. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, we that. always make mistakes. <laughs> every every flight, usually a very, very minor little error here and there. And that's why there are at least two of us up there to catch each other's yeah, mistake. That's what he should have said was that he had great confidence in his first officer. Yeah, never makes a mistake. That is, yeah. no, that's, yeah, that cannot be true. <laughs> Uh, nevertheless, the captain did not take any action to verify the first officer's assessment about the left engine, such as advancing the thrust lever for the left engine to determine whether an increasing thrust occurred. The operator simulator guide stated that pilot should be alert for changes, indicating that the thrust was being reduced on the incorrect 
or the operational engine. However, the crew did not notice the reduction in adverse yaw that resulted from the first officer's reduction of thrust on the left engine. Subsequently, the reductions in thrust on the left and right engines, which the first officer made to reduce speed, meant that there would be no noticeable indications that would have reinforced the idea to the crew members that the left engine was affected as they determined initially. Yeah, if the captain had thought to test the thrust on the left engine by advancing the left thrust lever, the flight crew would likely have noticed an increase in left engine thrust, a yaw to the right engine sounds indicating the left engine was capable of producing normal power. The captain could also have simultaneously advanced both thrust levers and observed the left engine producing more thrust. However, neither flight crew member suggested that the captain perform these actions and neither of these potential diagnostic steps was included in the operator's engine failure or shutdown checklist. Further, the engine failure and shutdown checklist would not have helped the captain sort out the situation because the checklist appeared to assume that the airplane would be experiencing ongoing asymmetric thrust, which was not the case at this point in the accident flight. The checklist did not consider the possibility that a flight crew would need to delay checklist execution until after completing steps in an operator's single-engine departure procedure, such as leveling off at a low altitude and reducing thrust in both engines. Because there was no longer a clear sign of which engine had failed, and the crew had forgotten its earlier determination that the right engine had lost power, critical thinking was required for the crew to devise diagnostic steps to confirm the affected engine. However, each pilot's thinking was degraded by high workload and stress. Oh, there you go. Captain so that Nick, was, what does he have to say? Yeah, so uh, Captain Nick, um, what do you think here? What uh, It seems like there was an inordinate amount of attention to the uh, communication step of aviate, navigate, communicate, um, priority. Um. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of human factors here. Um, mm. And uh, a lot of um, ignoring the priorities of what the pilots were supposed to be doing and concentrating on what um, was attracting their attention rather than what they should have been doing. And the air traffic uh, and the confusion uh, was obviously a major factor. I mean, they'd only ever lost one engine. Uh, the aircraft should have been capable of flying around for hours with the remaining engine. There was absolutely no reason why, uh, at least until they got the aircraft into a stabilized situation uh, and got some bit of height under their belt and had properly identified the problem and dealt with it, they they didn't even have to start thinking about turning around for the airport yet. Um, so they could have just carried on droning across the ocean, get it all stowed away, um, can correct any confusion with which engine was giving them a problem, and then sort out from their <laughs> traffic, yeah, we're over here and we'll squawk for you if you want and can you now turn us back and give us an engine because we're all sorted out. Everything's all packed away on the flight deck. We're all happy and we're now ready to make a single engine approach. Um, so I have enormous uh, sympathy with the crew because we are so used to responding to air traffic promptly and obeying their instructions and dealing with them, uh, it's very hard sometimes to push them away and remove their insistent voice from your head and just concentrate on other actions. Um, so, yes, I, I think that was a, a major factor, particularly in the initial part. Um, having 
got to the point where um, he, he said, right, well, I've got, kind of got that sorted out now, but what's happening to the speed? Um, I also have sympathy with the crew because first officer correctly identified his uh, fault with an engine, uh, and um, he, he brought that throttle back. Uh, so that was the right engine, yeah, number two. I'm pretty sure. Just yes. from the, I wasn't there. I'm confused now. Yeah, I know. It's it's easy to get confused reading this whole thing, but I, I believe the right engine was the one that had the failure. Yeah, had the problem. Uh, so whilst the throttles are mismatched, it's very easy to remember. Okay, the left engine is the one producing the thrust because that's the throttle that's up. The right engine is idle. And bear in mind, uh, other than the difference in EPA, I haven't seen any indication of something else that would have pointed to the, the right-hand engine being the faulty engine. So uh, it was still capable of producing some power. It was still winding. It wasn't producing full power. That was the problem. Uh, I think they lost some blades in it, but it uh, the engine was still effectively running, albeit well below par. Um, once you bring that left engine throttle back, to now match the right engine without any other indication, it's going to be very easy to misidentify which engine you originally assessed as the bad one. Because th there's, there's no bells, there's no fire warnings, there's no amber captions going off saying number two engine EPA problem or, you know, uh, vibration or all the things that might indicate a problem. Um, they're, they're both at idle and they're both, uh, you know, misbehave. They're both, sorry, apparently behaving okay. So when he then changed his mind and assumed it was the left engine and they bought the right engine up, the fact that they then didn't, still didn't see any problem with this number two engine, um, the, other than they couldn't get full power out of it, that should have really started a, you know, uh, I wonder if the, it might be the number one engine or why not use both engines, even if the other engine is giving us a bit of power. That would have been my thought. Um, so, you know, don't throw away an engine just because it's not operating at full capacity if you're about to hit the ocean. <laughs> that's, that's the time. You know, this so reminds me of, I can't think about this kind of an incident without thinking about the Potomac accident where the guys got airborne with uh, a lot of uh, uh, ice in or they had probes uh, on the engine pressure systems iced up as they got airborne out of um, Washington and uh, they never really got enough power selected on the engine they were using a reduced thrust to take off and um, they never went to full power even though it was always available to them yes. had they pushed the throttles up they could have got more power and yep. they would have saved so many lives. The same applies to this. If they'd gone to hell with it, you know, we, we're going to hit the water if we right. don't do something about this. <laughs> Let's just push both throttles up and see what happens. Exactly. Uh, if the engine gives gives out, well, you know, so be it. But at least we'll have tried. So, And they, they didn't really go through that, that kind of, Right, let's, let's do something that is absolutely guaranteed to give us something, an effect that could save us. Um, and they would have then correctly re-identified the damaged engine, and they could have brought the left engine up to full power, and they 
would have been able to do it. So communication between them, you know, not good. Um, there are lots of areas where they as a crew didn't operate at their best level. I think both of them would probably say this was far from their best days flying. Um, but then again, you never expect to have a major problem. Uh, and when your stress levels are high, it is very easy to get swamped, uh, you know, so that even sometimes the simplest thing becomes a really difficult uh, task. Jeff, can you explain EPR? Um, oh, yeah, Liz is asking about EPR, if we uh, might explain the exhaust pressure ratio. Um, yeah, uh, pressure in the front against pressure in the back, really. Uh, in, when the, when the, the engine is, in theory, uh, uh, not producing any thrust, it sh should theoretically be at one. And um, as you get more thrust out of the engine, the pressure differential – I've never liked EPR. It's a Rolls-Royce thing, I think. Um, but uh, that number increases. It gets up to about I don't know, 1 1.7, 1 1.8. Okay, but thank you. I've never really. I always look, looked at the N1 gauges, which is the you know the RPM uh, in in a percentage of the engine fan, uh, because I related to that much easier than I did this this pressure ratio. Well, and that's not it's not end. as susceptible uh, to error as the exhaust exhaust pressure ratio. Uh, but I guess they would say that EPR is like the most. Um, informative um i guess indication of the thrust being reduced i mean Most produced definitive. uh but it doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily the most reliable means of expressing that I, i'm trying to make sure that i'm saying that correctly but uh, so it depends on the in engine manufacturer i've flown airplanes with um you know you set power based on exhaust pressure ratio eper um uh, for most of the last 25 years or so and i've also flown jets that uh, use uh, n1 as the uh, indication the fan speed of uh, uh for indication of thrust um produced um but you have to the key is you have to look at both you can't just exclusively use EPR to determine thrust levels as we uh, just as captain nick just mentioned the air florida disaster um had they had something to cross check that that EPR uh was giving them good information uh by looking at the fan speeds uh they would have realized oh no we're not anywhere near and they were, and they knew that the, like the threat the the power levers weren't exactly where they normally are that was they were a little bit further back than they normally are the engines didn't even sound like they were producing as much noise as they normally do for takeoff and there so there are a couple different things going on there but as as captain nick just said you know when you're in a situation when the airplane's about to hit the river or hit a bridge or hit the ground my instinct i hope will be to just jam those things right through the instrument panel and just hope that you <laughs> yeah, have something right. there and same yeah, thing in this situation best. i just i'm befuddled by that human factor here why were they so worried about the health of their engines that they didn't dare put the power of the i would i would be like you know again the uh, whatever instrument is on on the panel right in front of the thrust levers would be broken most likely because i'd be jamming <laughs> those things so hard in there to try to get thrust to keep flying yeah. I, and why they didn't do that i don't i don't get that i i i was not in this situation so maybe under that kind of stress uh you you just kind of 
don't think to do something which I think would be very dis- uh, instinct. Uh, yeah. You, I mean, one of the reasons we practice engine failures, particularly if we're flying two engine, engine, uh, engined aircraft over and over again in the simulator, is so that we don't get frozen by the stress of a situation because, oh, it's just another engine failure. I've done this, you know, oodles of time in the sim, so we're going to, you know, do this, that, and the other. Off we go. And, you know, you start by uh, just going nice and progressively through the uh, assessment of the problem, identifying the, the engine, dealing with it, taking the appropriate actions, speaking to our traffic. And it's it's something that should have been uh, sec- almost second nature to them. This should not have been the drama that it turned into. So, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm disappointed. But on the other hand, I can see how the errors were made. Mm-hmm. I can I can understand how hard it is to ignore uh, air traffic when they're either badgering you or they're making a state with your call sign and you're not getting your message through that you need some assistance. I can understand having, without really clear engine indications, how when you've got your both throttles back at idle, it's easy to forget that, oh, yeah, it was the right engine that was the problem engine, not the left, and, uh, you know, to make that misidentification. The captain got it right, but he was unwilling to um, counter his first officer's uh, second assessment on which engine it was. But all he had to do, as you quite correctly say, Jeff, is push the throttles up and see which uh, how well they responded. Have a play with them. Uh, you know, the engine's broken. You're not going to make it much more broken, but the important thing is to identify which is the good engine. And, you know, so many people have made this mistake in the past that we all, we all understand how vital it is on a two engine airplane. Exactly. And, um, not much more to say than that. I'm no, now, I know that they were both injured, um, and I don't know if they were both. Ser- I know one of them was seriously injured, and the other significantly injured. And I'm wondering if they they didn't mention it in the final report that I can recall if they did recover fully from their injuries here on this. Uh, no, it, it doesn't did. mention. Uh, although it does say that um, you know one of the pilots was able to walk and you know move around independently because i think he either climbed into the boat or you know walked to hospital or whatever but um you know you don't know really uh, how much uh, that was the stress of the situation the adrenaline keeping him on his feet but uh, no one was critical and the other one was was seriously injured and yeah it's a survivor uh, an aircraft crashing into the ocean that's you know that's a good result yeah Okay, well, uh, let's uh, continue with this um, audio uh, incident at um, Madison, <laughs> yeah. Wisconsin. Yeah. And it's kind of ironic, I think, because uh, it, w- it was a, a pilot at American Airlines uh, captain who was mad at mad. <laughs> they all mad. Yep, here we go. <laughs> Tower of American at 2139, holding square 36. We'll be ready to go when you can get that. Thank you, 239. Staff 4, we are following a skyline about a mile ahead to your left. Quick, come here, look for that traffic. Staff 9, I'll make left traffic, send it downwind, I'll call your base. 
American 2139, you could have told Mason about 10 minutes ago, right? We have four in the pattern, it happened five minutes ago. Now you tell me one minute ago, you have two minutes before you time out. Unacceptable. Touch and goes in the last 20 more seconds and then you can go. Yeah, don't get it. Don't get it like me. We didn't know that two minutes ago. This is a commercial airport. Okay. I'm going to stop right there because they just continue with some more communications of the aircraft that are in the, the general aviation uh, aircraft in the pattern, doing pattern work, touch and goes and such. And uh, they cleared them for takeoff and uh, off they went. And the uh, American crew even said, good day. That sounded like they were they were over. Well, that was the first officer. The captain is the one that came on and he was all uh, upset about this whole thing Yeah, in a tizzy. And so I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a minute now. Does this American Airlines captain not understand that in the United States, at least, uh, the way we operate uh, priority for traffic uh, at public use airports is first come, first served? Now, there are exceptions to that when an airline flight has a slot time that they have to make, then they receive uh, elevated priority, or if they're experiencing some kind of an, uh, of an emergency, or they're a medevac flight, etc. There are some exceptions. But in general, it can be frustrating for us because we're operating or trying to operate scheduled air service. And when we go to places like Madison, or we go to, um, uh, let's see, what's the uh, place in uh, um, Florida that I uh, used to fly in a lot? Sarasota. There's a lot of general aviation traffic down there, and you just have to be patient. It gets frustrating uh, when you're just waiting there, waiting there, waiting there, looking at your fuel burning, uh, and looking at your potential late arrival at the uh, wherever you're headed. But you just have to kind of suck it up and understand that that's just the way it works in the United States of America. Am I right about that, Nick Camacho? Yep, you are. And there are there are a few exceptions. Um, where the biggest of the big airports um, might have limitations on uh, what sort of activities they can have. Uh, but generally they try to flush this sort of, uh, they try to flush these sort of operations out with landing fees, right? So like uh, if you fly, you can fly a GA airplane into LAX, but there's a significant landing fee that makes it kind of uh, unpalatable. But uh, yeah, I mean, for the most part, it's um, it's very much a first come, first serve thing, and you know, it it does not operate like that. Like the majority, of, as a person that only operates little airplanes, uh, I would say that ninety percent or more, if there's a close call, it's always going to go towards the jet because the jet's burning more fuel, the jet's holding up, you know, the jet waiting is holding up far more people, um, which is fine. But, uh, you know, I, I just want to make that point that for every, you know, one airline captain that gets upset that he does not have the priority, uh, I would say that the general feel is first come, first serve. And then if anything's kind of close, they will 
modulate the traffic to um, best fit the uh, largest operation first mm-hmm. is the way that I see it. They're just trying to manage their uh, their traffic there to the most you know, to make it most efficient for uh, the the overall you know uh, operation. And um, but again, it just I, you know who knows exactly what kind of crappy day that this crew had, what kind of, of delays that they had, and what kind of pressures, et cetera. But still, you got to just you just got to keep your mouth shut. And uh, this guy just, you could just tell when he just started to make his, it was like, like he was uh, like a huge sigh. Like, what is this? What kind of, what kind of, uh, you know, mom and pop operation rinky dink place is this? You know, we're an American Airlines flight. We're scheduled air service, but move all these people out of our way so we can get on with our flight, you know? Uh, Yeah, just uh, kind of sad but it, i thought it's amazing how easy it is to slip uh and just become you know just lose it for a minute or two mm-hmm. without remembering that the best way to get good service is to be polite and just really nice and just you know make your point uh, without antagonizing the person you're dealing with because that's just gonna make your life an awful lot worse yeah it's not gonna if help done that at chicago it'd have been what did, what did they call that? The ballpark? The, They'd uh, have just the, given him taxi to the ballpark and box. sit and wait oh, there for an hour. Box. Yeah. Or at, uh, in New York, they'd have just taxied you clear and made you join the back of the 45-minute queue to, <laughs> until you've got a place at the front again and then say, right, now, now you're going to be nice about it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That is one thing that uh, kind of surprised me, and I, I missed it, or I didn't get to listen to all of it this time, so I may have missed it the first time I listened to it, but... Uh, you know, most of the time when you're flying out of smaller airports like that, at least like slow San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, Wichita, the places that I'm used to flying out of, and you're flying into the larger hubs, you know, everyone has their times, like the time slots. And I would have thought that the time slot they were trying to hit would have been far more, um, would have been much tighter than their fuel window. So the fact that they could sit there forever, I guess that means they're either not flying to a large hub airport where they have a tight time slot. Or they're just on the last leg of their day and they just don't want to yeah. put a little more fuel on or something. Well, we there's a lot of information that we don't have access to here. We don't really know the full backstory of what's going on. I did not um, get the indication that this was like a um, air traffic control flow time kind of an issue. It was more of something caused the American flight to be delayed in some way. And then finally, when they realized that, okay, we can go now and now look, we're getting really close to, you know, the minimum fuel for takeoff level. And, um, so it was not necessarily really a timing thing. I think it was more of a, a fuel related concern that they had. And so again, I don't know exactly how they got themselves into that pickle there with the fuel. Um, but I don't think it, you know, had anything to do with, uh, with any kind of a flow time from ATC. So, no, they, uh, but they, the, the more new uh, notice, I'm sorry, you give ATC of a potential, uh, you know, fuel issue that you're going to have to go back and refuel, the better they can, they can fit you in. So don't just sit there, just when you pipe up, just say, oh, we got, you know, we're going to 
have a problem in 10 minutes if we can't get off. Is there anything and, you can do to ease our departure? And so. as he mentioned, he said, well, you know, you just told me there's a minute to go. Um, right. Yeah. Like, What's she supposed gotta- to do? <laughs> and it's, as a, you can tell, as soon as you turn the radio on, you have a pretty good feel. You may not be able to tell whether you're going to wait for seven minutes or eight minutes at the end of the runway, but you can tell just by listening for 30 seconds or a minute whether you're going to taxi down to the end of the runway and be gone in a minute or two or be sitting down there for 10 minutes because of the amount of airplanes that are in the pattern or uh, amount of communications. And I think the the best way should have been, other than not really yelling at the air traffic controller to begin with, so let's say you just let that get the best of you and you do it. And it would have been nice if, you know, before they left the pattern and switched to departure control to say, hey, I apologize for my frustration there, you know, I, whatever, you know, good job. Thank you. You know, and that would have smoothed everything over, I think, immensely. And uh, it's too bad that he did. He, I guess he was still upset, you know, so. Yeah. Oh. I just feel sorry for his first officer that entire flight because there's only going to be one thing on his mind. Yeah. <laughs> I bet that FO was just like going, you know, like he probably wanted to say as he left, sorry. Yeah, the captain sure, I'm flying yeah. with is a jerk. <laughs> All right. We're going to skip the next one and save it for Steffi when we do part two. And we're going to do one of the crime ones. Okay, so zero uh, one E. We have three uh, stories of uh, airline employees or contractors behaving oh. badly. Bad the boy. girlfriend, the cocaine, or the marijuana? All right. So, which we'll one do you think one. would be best for us to discuss, Liz, uh, with the with the boys here? I think the girlfriend's got the be. girlfriend one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. Um, from paddle your own canoe. Yay, they're back. Uh, a veteran Argentinian flight attendant is facing the threat of spending six years in prison after she was accused of calling in a bomb threat against a Miami-bound plane because her ex-boyfriend was on board with his new girlfriend. Daniela Carbone, uh, 47, stands accused of uh, aggravated coercion, public intimidation, and obstruction of public service after a false bomb threat resulted in an Aerolineas Argentinas Airbus A330 aircraft being evacuated on the runway at uh, Iziza, Iziza? Airport in uh, Buenos Aires three years ago. Um, no, three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. Yeah, says, yeah. just not, not too long ago. Prosecutors allege that she called in the bomb threat to stop her ex-boyfriend from flying to Miami to see his family. The ex-boyfriend is also a flight attendant for the state-run Argentinian flag carrier and was traveling with his new girlfriend, who was also a flight attendant at the same air- airline. <laughs> oh, boy. Keep it in the family. <laughs> Keeping it in the family. <laughs> Local media have reported that Carbona had been in a romantic relationship with her colleague for the past five years, but they broke up around two months ago. It's alleged that she used her daughter's cell phone with a disposable SIM card to call in the bomb threat with a distorted voice. Tell the captain that we put three bombs in the Miami flight, the threat said. Tell Tell the little captain. (laughs) Oh, tell the little captain. Ooh. (laughs) I missed that part. Tell the little captain that we put three bombs in the Miami. Tell him to stop effing around with politics and check the plane because they are going to be blown to smithereens. Uh, let's see. The May 21st threat resulted in the Airbus A330 aircraft being stopped at the runway in Buenos Aires. 
and all 270 passengers and 12 crew members evacuated onto the runway while police checked for explosive devices. Uh, Carbone had already been terminated by Aerolinius Argentinus hmm, and has been held in custody since May 28, while investigators determine whether there is enough evidence to press charges against the ex-flight attendant. She was arrested at the request of a federal judge by Argentina's anti-terrorist operational unit. Aerolinius Argentinus says the threat had caused severe economic and reputational damage to the company. A spokesperson confirmed that Carbone had worked for the airline for 24 years and had been an instructor for the past 14. Hmm. All right. Well, well it's quite yeah. a career to throw away. Yeah, really. No kidding. That is indeed, actually. But, you know, he must have been uh, affairs of the heart have a way of <laughs> clouding your judgment. Mad. <laughs> yeah. Funnily enough, uh, this was more or less the same uh, same sort of thing that um, brought about my first bomb threat. Oh, when you called in your right. first bomb threat? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was uh, just trying to depart from a remote stand on the Washington flight, and um, we got a warning that the bomb threat had been uh, issued against the aircraft, and after you know it all settled down, uh, we d subsequently discovered that they thought, but they couldn't prove it was a passenger that had arrived late for the flight, and they closed the the gate. Who called it in, thinking that if they delayed the flight, they would reopen it for boarding, and he would get on it. Uh, so, I think no. we also had that theory. story like a month ago or two. Sadly, yeah. Mm-hmm. But there you go. Uh, very sad. I mean, shouldn't she have thought through her actions just a little bit? Because six years in prison is is going to be tough for a poor love. Hey, but the bright side, Nick, is that maybe she'll find a new friend in prison. <laughs> so, oh, she might. A well, uh, and I wonder if he was a little captain. Well. I... And which bitch was she talking about? Hmm. But that's what she was. The flight attendant. She was the boyfriend of, not the captain. Oh, that's true. Uh, Liz is making the point that um, the uh, it was not the captain that she had the um, relationship with, right. but was oh, a, good another point. Yes. Uh, flight point. attendant. Huh. But she might have well, had knowledge of the. Yeah, little she, may, she may have dated the, <laughs> she may have been around. <laughs> the captain as well. <laughs> Hence, yes. uh, the uh, term "little captain." Hmm. Well, let's get to know you guys. All right, let's get to know us. Here we go. Getting to know us. Oh, nice, Liz. Speak, uh, singing in an operatic style. I like that. All right. Uh, getting to know us. It's that time of the show where we kind of get together and talk about what each one of us has been up to since we last saw them on the show. And we're going to go right to Nick Camacho because, hey, well, hey, we haven't seen you in a while. You've been very busy with your life, and uh, we're, we're glad that you had a few moments to take out of your busy, busy schedule to uh, be with us today, Nick. What uh, what have you been up to? Uh, yeah, I th so I think I've missed maybe two shows. Um, in that time frame, I went out to California. I was uh, in California for work for a week. Um spent uh, a day working on uh, Betsy's Biscuit Bomber. We, For the winter maintenance, we actually took uh, the front fuel tanks out and essentially rebuilt them. They're aluminum tanks with um, 
machined uh, aluminum sumps on the bottom and uh, all just all sorts of ceiling nightmares throughout them. And we had kind of been chasing you know, little leaks here and there. You know, it was kind of like a like an old boat where you get, you'd plug one leak and then another leak would start and plug that. So we yeah, weren't you telling uh, us about the fact that uh, you were losing a certain amount of fuel every so often yeah. and yeah. yeah so we thought we, we were losing like tens i think it was maybe like 10 gallons a week or 20 gallons a week in the summer we thought that was due to evaporation because it's a dark airplane sitting outside and it's 100 degrees in paso um now we kind of wondered if it was um leaks like we had small leaks and then the fuel was still evaporating off but it was leaking out and then you know draining down the inside of the wing and evaporating as it drained or ran uh, either way, we took the tanks out. We had a, a couple of our um, more ambitious uh, team members uh, take the tanks all apart, clean them up, uh, reseal everything. And then uh, last weekend, we put them all back in, uh, got everything hooked up. Uh, we did a, I was able to, uh, we did a low, low power run while I was there. Uh, and then they did another engine run in anticipation of a test flight um, last week. So I guess I keep saying then, but this was, I was up there two weekends ago. So then last week, midweek, they did a high power engine run and in a test flight and they were, they were going to fly it. Uh, now we have a issue with the left hand carburetor. So we're hoping that'll be just a quick turn, um, fix, and then we'll be ready to start flying a little later than we had hoped for this calendar year, but, uh, we're getting there. That's good. Um, so then from that, I flew home on Thursday. I left California at 5.01 a.m. and got into Wichita at uh, about 12.45, just in time for my wife to pick me up from the Wichita airport on our way down to a little uh, family weekend vacation in Oklahoma where we met uh, my siblings and a couple other family members uh, at a little, we rented a little Airbnb cabin at a lake down in southeast Oklahoma and uh, spent some time spent some time down there. Um, that was fun. Uh, the weather was not too bad. It was it's getting warm in the Midwest now as we get into summer, but uh, it wasn't too bad. Uh, my son did his first escape room, so that went uh, uh, I guess it could have gone better. It was a little uh, a little more um he got a little more concerned than I thought he would. <laughs> oh, he, it was more into the, um, the simulation than reality. Yeah. So he, he loves doing like, we have a little Alexa thing, you know, and it, they have an escape room game on the Alexa. He loves doing that. And we got him a li little, um, we got a, a little, um, I don't know if you'd call it a board board game, but like a little like in-person type of game we did in our house. And he loved that. And so this is the first one we went out and did, an actual escape room. And I think he got a little nervous with some of the sound effects and <laughs> that sort of stuff. But, uh, um, so then, uh, we did that and, uh, we just got home on Sunday and, uh, started getting stuff put back together on Sunday for, uh, me to go to work on Monday and then start, uh, an evening sailing class. So all this week I'm going out to the lake and trying to learn how to sail, uh, the little sailboat that my dad got. So that's been fun. Wow. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yep. 
Yeah, you've been very busy. And uh, how, how are the projects at work going? Po- mostly positively or? Mostly positively, yeah. We're yeah. building up towards um, a couple of um, interesting flight tests that'll happen in July and August probably. Nice. Uh, unfortunately, one looks like it's going to coincide with Oshkosh, um, but it is a, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a real cool um, opportunity. So I may have to uh, cut part of my Oshkosh out to go support this test before um, well, let, I run well, up there for a couple of days. Let's, let's talk about that because uh, there are several people that listen to our show that will be attending Oshkosh this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, both Nick and I were there last year. Uh, as far as my schedule is concerned, I'm not sure yet if I'm going to be able to make it up to Oshkosh. I'm hoping that I'll be able to go there for a day or two, hopefully. Uh, we both do have our media credentials, and uh, so, um, yeah, just to let everybody out there know that uh, Nick um, is is planning on being there. I don't know how, how much of the week you plan on attending, um, but we're not officially uh, planning any kind of a, a recording or meetup or anything else, but we're hoping that we'll be able to... Uh, you know, see you all up there, see some folks uh, that uh, are there uh, each and every year and are part of our community. Yep. And like I said, it kind of depends on how this work event turns out, but I would, I would guess that I will be up there either um, most of the week or um, maybe just two or three days. And if it ends up that I'm working the first half of the week, um, I might try to, uh, zip up there on the airlines with my older son and uh, have him get his first experience. Oh, gosh. Gosh. So we'll just see how it goes. So uh, Betsy's biscuit bomber is not going to be there this year. Uh, that is also still up in the air. Okay. Uh, I think the possibility exists that it could make it. Um, we had a couple of functions that we were going to try to do in the Midwest in June mm-hmm. that we didn't have the airplane ready for. Uh, if we can shift those to July, I think um, there's still a possibility the airplane will be out for Oshkosh, but uh also up in the air. All right. That's also a possibility that you might be flying your debonair there, depending on the schedule. I would say that's probably not a possibility because I don't think that we still haven't sorted out the final path for the Uh, engine situation. Gotcha. But uh, I don't think either any of the paths that we're looking at will be completed in the timeframe that we would need it to be. Well, hopefully, so, uh, well, it sounds like Nick has a better uh, chance of making it up for at least a, a, a few days. And uh, as for me, uh, it just all depends on, I don't know, really. Uh, I know the half of my uh, month next month is going to be spent in the UK. Um, and I'm not sure how much I'll be able to, uh, you know, do um other than flying uh, for the rest of the month. Uh, who knows? Maybe I'll just blow off the entire month and just play. I don't know. We'll see. Speaking of the UK. Speaking of the UK, um, Nick. Captain Nick. Captain Nick. Um, what has been going on? I know we just recently recorded on Saturday, and it's uh, only Wednesday, so it was just a few days ago. Well, it didn't seem that it. long ago. But, uh, yeah, uh, have you played some more uh, – Bowling matches? Oh, most certainly, yeah. I had a really good game uh, a couple of days ago. League match, uh, three rinks, so three, pardon me, teams playing three opposition teams on a, their hope, pardon me, ground. 
and uh, we won conclusively on all three rinks, so that was a great result. Um, yeah. Actually, that was just yesterday. It was just last night. Oh, I guess we need to uh, that, And right? uh, lots more games coming up. Oh, I think it was off. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm laying off for a few days because I have to pop into hospital very early tomorrow morning for a, uh, a small bit of surgery, which uh, is nothing to be concerned about, but it might make me a little uncomfortable. Uh, I can't imagine a surgery that wouldn't make you just a little uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I'm going for um, you know a bit of a facelift and uh, going to have um, some improvement in my you know chest area. Oh. And uh, I thought I'd Rest have a bit plans. of a tummy tuck while I was at it, you know that sort of thing. Uh huh. And maybe an uh, add a mordectomy um, procedure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Actually, uh, I already have problems with it. It's, you know, it gets in the I'm way sure. of it. So <laughs> oh, I'm thinking please. of having a reduction and oh, something sensible. But uh, anyway, we'll discuss that with the doctor. Uh, yeah, be, be careful. You don't want to become it. a little captain. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, quite right too. Um, and then uh, now next week is going to be a busy week. We've got uh, county triples. That's big match. Um, and then, uh, uh, then at the end of that week, I've got minor matches during the whole week. You arrive on the Sunday. Um, got pairs match the day before. Now I was trying not to fill uh, your time with us with bowls, but. Um, the fourth round of the home county singles need to be played, and it looks like we're oh, doing I want, that on. Uh, I want to go those to those. To go. I went. Well, uh, that's very kind of you. I'm sure you, I would hope you enjoy it. I'm going to feel like there's a bit of pressure on me, uh, other than just playing this. Well, play. maybe that maybe I'll be. I'll have my computer, my laptop with me, and I'll oh, that's be right. Sit and editing over the, uh, the yeah, show that good. we just recorded, and then I'll just pretend like I'm not paying attention, and takes all the pressure off you. There, thank you. Uh, so that's on uh, Wednesday the seventh, but uh, in the evening, and then we'll go out for a bite to eat afterwards. I expect. Mm -hmm. um, then we have. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention, of course, that the day before that, we have the London APG meetup uh, at the RAF Museum in the afternoon, two p.m. onwards, and then when the museum closes, we're going to the Beaufort Pub in Heritage Avenue, uh, right near the RAF Museum at Hendon, which is North London. And uh, that is our 4th of July uh, meetup because the Yanks are coming, or the Yankees anyway. Um, and um, uh, we are also going to have a meetup on uh, Friday the 7th uh, when we go up uh, north to the Grand Prix and um, – very nicely, uh, Captain Nigel, although he won't be there, he's uh, given us permission to assemble in his garden. He's got a very nice uh, house in Upper Tadmarton. Uh, so there's a postcode there, OX155SN, and uh, that's where we'll be meeting at uh, sort of 6 o'clock in the evening after we've come back from Silverstone. And uh, we're going to get some beer in. I've... Uh, taking a look at the Hook Brewery that we went to. Do you remember our visit yeah. to that brewery? I Jeff? do. That was great. Yeah, we could we can buy some uh you know little casks uh of ale from them 
and we'll buy a couple of those so that people can have some beer. Um, by the way, if it looks like it's going to be filthy weather, we will walk down the road to the Lampet Arms in the village. But the idea is to try and do this at, at Nigel's house. So Barnstone's Main Road, Upper Tad Martin uh, right. in uh, there. So looking forward to that. And Me other too. than that, um, not much has happened. And not much will, I hope. Very good. What's up? Well, let's see. I um, flew a two-day trip on Monday, uh, returned yesterday morning. Of course, that is um, after what I do over the weekends, which, of course, you all know is... I'm singing! Yep, doing a lot of singing. (laughs) And uh, so when I... uh, Well, a about a week ago or so, maybe a little bit longer, I was contacted by one of our APG community members who um, is a uh, a new hire at Acme, and uh, he had already gone through the uh, INDOC program that uh, AJ just went through. You know, I had a meet up with him um, a couple of weeks back, and uh, Ranjit uh, said that he was going to be there for uh, the uh, A320 school. And I think I talk about it a little bit in our audio that I recorded. And uh, But anyway, he said if, if, if there was a chance that I might be in the airport area that he would love to uh, get together with me. And so I decided to just delay my uh, trip home from the airport a few hours and do some editing on our last episode, which I did. It worked out great. And then uh, after he was out of his simulator period... Uh, we met up and uh, recorded this. Hello, crew. I am on another meetup, uh, this time down at the ATL again, and uh, this time eating some awesome Greek food at uh, what used to be called Nick's. Now it's just called Grecian Gidro. I think Nick may have sold the place. It used to be Nick's. Um, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Um, so, hey. What's important is I'm down here with an American, an American, an airline pilot guy, uh, community member, and also Acme pilot, new Acme pilot going to uh, training uh, here on the uh, Airbus uh, 320 family, and uh, he's flown the Airbus before for JetBlue or whatever we want to call it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You're not flying for them anymore, no. so who cares? Nah, that's um, right. And uh, so he's learning the way that Acme does it. Uh, it's a little bit different, he's telling me. And uh, so he contacted me and asked if, uh, if I had a chance. It'd be nice to get together for lunch or whatever. So um, hopefully we'll be able to do this again. Absolutely. Ranjit. But this is Ranjit, and he's going to say hello to everybody. So here we go. Hello, everyone. Uh, very nice to uh, finally meet Jeff here in person after hearing his voice for many years on the, on the podcast. Uh, but yeah, uh, hello everyone, and uh, hopefully we can do this uh, more. All right, yeah. Okay, short and sweet. I yeah. love it. Thank you. All right. Well, so uh, we just enjoyed. Uh, you had the falafel wrap, and I had the special, which is uh, like a steak and shrimp um, wrap with the nice uh, tzatziki sauce. And uh, so we give it two thumbs up. If you're ever here on Virginia Avenue, across from Mecca, uh, the the Acme headquarters uh check out grecian hydro and uh with that we're going to send it back to the studio back to you jeff okay (laughs) 
Anyway, that was a lot of fun. Uh, nice meeting uh, Ranjit yesterday. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, have more meetups uh, in the future. Did you want to make, and mention your dinner out with your daughter on the dinner? weekend? Oh, yeah, I guess I could do that. On uh, It was Father's Day, Father's Day yeah. on Sunday here. And uh, uh, my youngest daughter, Natalie, uh, called up and asked if uh, if I weren't busy that she would like to take me to dinner. And so we had a very nice dinner at a local um, restaurant and uh, you know, got a chance to get all caught up. She took um, a week of vacation a couple of weeks ago, flew out to Salt Lake City, rented a car, and then visited five of the national parks in Utah. And uh, so she told me all about that. And uh, She had fun? She had a good she time? She had a lot of fun. And uh, it was a very interesting experience for her. And the cool thing is that uh, she, uh, at some point uh, a while back, she uh, asked if it would be okay that in, in the future, after I got the motor home and I'm, I'm retired and I'm out, you know, driving around the West or, or around some of the national parks, if she had some time off, that she would uh, like to join me to uh, see some of these things. So I think that's pretty cool. That's Looking great. forward to that. And uh, so. Anyway, uh, we had a great time with uh, with Natalie on Sunday evening. So there Captain you go. Jeff wants to say something? I'm sorry, Captain Nick wants to say Brilliant. something. Brilliant. Well done, uh, Jeff. I forgot something. Can okay. I feed in a little bit? No, I'm sorry. Your time is up. Uh, uh, we'll have to wait till uh, next up. No, go ahead. Of course. I, I'll I'll get send a bit of extra money to the coffee. Okay, thank fund. you. <laughs> Yeah, well, we didn't do the um, I've got a, an old friend of mine, uh, ex-Air Force uh, guy and uh, Virgin Atlantic captain who is a great photographer and publishes his own books called In Black. And his latest book wow. is this one called The McDonnell Douglas F4 UK, uh, and uh, it's called The Manual Part One uh, and My In Black. And it there is a, a manual in the UK called the Haynes Manual, famous for oh, we teaching have here, you here how too. Oh, you do? You yeah. get the Haynes in there? Oh, yeah, okay, the brilliant. Chilton and Haynes manuals. Yes. Ah, fantastic. Well, uh, I mean, inventive people did Haynes manuals for all sorts of odd things that you're not likely to need a Haynes manual for. I mean, it, it helps you fix your car, but they did them for tanks and boats and all sorts of things. And, um, uh, um, Ian was going to do one for the Phantom, but it, it didn't quite work out as a Haynes manual, but he did one anyway with more stories about the Phantom. And there's a centerfold uh, all about QRA, and he pinched a couple of pictures uh, from me uh, of QRA and of my 10 bear badge, which you can just about see at the bottom of the picture there um, for 10 live intercepts. Um and uh, very kindly sent me a free copy of his book. So nice. thank you very much indeed, Ian. And I can thoroughly recommend it. Anyone uh, who has an interest in the RAF's Phantoms, slightly different from uh, the USAF and US Navy ones, but uh, a great read anyway. It's got some super pictures in there and lots of good stories about the Phantom operations. So did I understand you correctly that you uh, actually feature in a centerfold? <laughs> a, wow! Yeah, uh, well, a, a picture of mine. 
Uh, I always oh, like doing the centerfold pictures. Not a picture They're of very you. nice. Yeah. Okay. Very tastefully talk. done, though. Nick needs uh. to talk about the last cover art. All right, so we're going to talk about the last cover art uh, for episode 574. Um, uh, at Bobus, we take cockpit security seriously. Yes, we do. Tell us about this, Nick. <laughs> Now, I'm going to, Liz, if that's all right with you, I'm going to go ahead and uh, switch to my screen sharing so I can zoom in on this because we're going to sure, have to take, yeah. a, take a good um, yeah. a good look at this. And, oh, I think uh, we are. Yeah, the um, the title came from the FAA, um, the story about the FAA's uh, policy that in future uh, they are going to insist on having two flight deck doors. So there's a sort of airlock procedure going in and out of the flight deck. Uh, it hasn't been enacted as a law yet, but we were certainly talking about it. And uh, as a result, uh, we came up with the idea that we'd do something like the Get Smart uh, TV program and movie that some people might know where he, to get into his secret headquarters, he has to go through dozens of doors. So that was the idea behind this. Uh, and of course, having done a cutaway aircraft with, uh, I didn't count the doors, actually one, two, three, four, five, six, seven flight deck doors on this particular version, and all the passengers are crammed into what remains of the aircraft. I see some familiar beard. passengers. I thought I uh, have an ideal opportunity to put a few figures in there. So mm -hmm. yeah. we have got a special pilot if we start yeah, at the I front. Yeah, I see yeah, up front, yeah, who is obviously uh, would only prefer one flight deck door because he's only got one <laughs> finger sticking up, or or maybe he is like uh, trying to scrape some goo or something like that off the. Uh, off it the could be, window. yes, yes, yeah. I know, yeah, but With I have seen that. Finger. I have seen that pilot somewhere before. I'm not quite uh -huh, sure yeah, where. I don't know. But it, anyway, he's the pilot, and uh -huh. obviously looks a little upset. And if you go back into the passenger compartment, mm -hmm. uh, compartment. leaning on the table there yep. in that forward passenger compartment, I'm sure that's someone who is deadheading. He looks like a cargo pilot, yep, and he mm -hmm. looks like he's deadheading with some very odd-looking passengers. Mm -hmm. And beside him, in a funny-looking little compartment, uh, is uh, a pilot and a whole bunch of parachute jumpers <laughs> hmm. yeah that's yeah. weird a pilot in a pink hat yeah uh -huh. yeah I kind of and in the that. next oh. compartment we're getting very close down to steerage now yeah uh, we've got um a producer <laughs> uh -huh. and uh an old pilot there and one of the passengers is getting really really uh kind of comfortable with uh with yeah, those, the, old pilot. the producer yeah. <laughs> i think, oh, yeah. I think yeah. so yes <laughs> i'm not quite sure no. what he's got on his head but there you go <laughs> but i i like the steerage area where there's a lot of uh, dodgy looking people all crammed in i think many of them are stowaways there's some bloke in his pajamas <laughs> Yeah. lounging around with his dog. Yeah. I don't know how he got his dog on board, but hmm. there his you go. Now, with dog. people like that on, you can understand the need for multiple cockpit doors just mm. to keep everything safe and secure. The guy at the back has his emotional support dog. Yeah, uh, yeah the guy in the back has an emotional support dog. Yeah, he does indeed. Liz. Yeah. But, oh, yeah, and there's the uh, there's the show yeah. number yeah, absolutely. in our GRR -R, uh, Trent. <laughs> yes. What does that even mean? It's obviously a copy Trent. <laughs> so like oh, Trent. Trent 574. There you go. Ah, oh, okay. 
from Grand right. Rapids. From Grand Rapids, yeah. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. One, Nick. So, I all those yeah, thank you uh, for Mid Journey for producing that. That kind of looked like a, a bit like an airplane, that one. And when you asked mm-hmm. for a cutaway, it did a reasonable job, I thought. Yeah, I, I thought mean, it did as well. It's learning. It's learning. Quite advanced. It's got one of these wacky um, electric towing devices on the nose wheel to yeah, drag that. you out to the airport. No, sorry, to the end of the runway to save fuel. Uh, so I I think the stairs are a little bit short for most people to get into the aircraft. But Looks like a journey. I have no there. idea. What, and we've got an engineer with us, uh, Nick. Like what, are these, what are these? What uh, are these tables? Three wheeled tables they've got. It, it almost looks like you know that episode where the uh, the center um, one of the center gear off of a seven forty seven went flying off. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yes. Looks like they were just making good <laughs> yeah. use of that. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. 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 Love it. Anyway, they're very imaginative, this AI. So mm-hmm. It is. I, I might point out that it didn't put the seven doors in. I had to manually do that. Oh, Good okay. work. Yeah, so, so, again, a, um, a, a, a marriage of uh, mid-journey and then also yeah. Photoshop. Mid-journey made it a lot easier, though. Did you want to talk about the SimVenture thing? Uh, oh, Jeff, yeah, I do that? want to talk about that, Liz. Thank you. Um, so, um, I promised um, Kevin from Pilot Edge that uh, I would mention their um, yearly program uh, called SimVenture, this time SimVenture 2023. And uh, so we're going to skip the evolution of this commercial that uh, Kevin sent me and just go straight to the the final result. And so if you'll take a listen, uh, to what uh, Kevin and his friend at Pilot Edge have to say about this. I think that anybody that is even considering uh, heading up to Oshkosh, uh, flying in specifically, uh, should check out this um, offering from Pilot Edge. Get out the way! I can't uh, adjust it. Help! Flying to Oshkosh this year, or know someone who is? The famous Fisk arrival and air venture can be very complex, busy, and fast-paced. Whether you're a rookie or a veteran, everyone can benefit from some training and proficiency prior to following the railroad tracks and rocking their wings. Luckily, you can prepare ahead of time using your home flight simulator. X-Plane 11 Microsoft Flight Sim 2020, prepared or FSX, is your gateway to participate in SimVenture. SimVenture is put on by Pilot Edge and has the actual Oshkosh air traffic controllers volunteering for your benefit to help you prepare for air venture. It all happens July 13th through 16th. Visit pilotedge.net slash SimVenture to learn more. July 13 through 16. Check it out by going over to pilotedge.net slash sim venture. Can you imagine listening to that in 1.5 or 2x? No, no. He was already going, talking so fast I can hardly understand him. <laughs> my, my old brain, I just can't keep up with That's it. That's because we're old. People. I know. Can't keep up with the kids anymore. Right? So, so, Jeff, you've got yeah. about six minutes left. Do you want yeah. to? choose a feedback and go with it or yeah. what do you want to do yeah. let's um we have about six minutes remaining and so why don't we cover at least one of these pieces of feedback uh before we sign off what do you guys think absolutely all right captain incoming message all right we're going to uh start with uh item four from Martin, 
a question about pilot-permitted activities during layover-free time. He says, I love listening to the APG episodes. Been listening since around episode 200. Wow, that's been a while. Uh, It was great to hear Captain Dana again on episode 571. I was curious about whether pilots are restricted from any activities during layovers, activities that might cause a pilot to be unable to fly their scheduled flights or cause injuries, etc. I'm a volunteer bus driver for a large church driving mostly 50-plus passenger buses. If I'm on a trip or some other activity, I may often refrain from participating in some activities that might make me unable to be able to safely drive a group back. I've taken them to activities where there is the possibility of some injury that would make me unsafe to drive. If that happened, usually there is not a backup driver to fill in if I'm away some distance. I realize the airlines usually have standby pilots uh, available to complete a flight, uh, but I didn't know if the airlines discouraged or restricted any layover activities. Thanks, Martin. Um I and, and Acme, I'm not aware of anything other than just make sure that you plan your um, your rest so that you get uh, the FAA required rest and also you know um, close um, metering Stay of up. your alcohol alcohol intake yeah. uh, that you comply with those regulations. But other than that, uh, I'm not aware of anything that's restricted. Although it may not be a great idea. I've heard of people on their layovers, like going um, snow skiing, uh, that kind of thing. And, bungee uh, jumping? Bungee jumping, I guess. I don't know. I've not heard of anybody doing that, but I guess that's the po- uh, a possibility. But I don't know. what. Uh, how about you, Captain Nick? Uh, any restrictions that you guys had when you were on layovers? Yeah. The, the only one I can remember from uh, a company manual uh, was scuba diving. Mm. Uh, so you weren't allowed to scuba dive within uh, 24 hours, or it might even have been 48 hours of flying um, because of the dangers that uh, you might still have uh, compressed nitrogen uh, hovering around in your body, particularly in your joints. And if the aircraft did depressurize, mm. that could bubble out and uh, cause you significant pain, if not uh, incapacitate you. Um, so that was one activity I would definitely recommend people to avoid uh, if you're on a short layover. If you're on a long layover, fine. But uh, certainly restrict your depth uh, if you're on a short layover. If you're just going to puddle around the Great Barrier Reef at you know, um, 10 meters, 30 feet or so, then that, that's probably not going to be a problem. But if you're going to do a deep dive, then definitely give yourself a good gap before you uh fly and actually that also applies to you if you're a passenger because i don't know i know it's pretty unlikely the aircraft will depressurize but the last thing you want to do is end up in a situation where uh, the aircraft is depressurized the crew are all uh, occupied um or sat down on oxygen etc and you're now suddenly suffering from the bends because of the massive change in pressure so i would just have a, a real think about that and make your last couple of dives uh, relatively shallow that would be sensible now uh, the thing that our company did was they changed their um insurance uh for medical and accident insurance down route uh, 
um, uh, to include dangerous sports. And then they listed a whole list of things that the insurer would not cover you for. Now, if you're in a foreign country and you've got to pay for your own, so, so you've got to be Kazavact off a ski slope or whatever, that would, and then put up in a hospital, which you've now got to pay for yourself. The insurance will, the company's won't cover it. That's going to be dreadfully uh, dangerous. And it covered all sorts of things. You Motorcycle riding, uh, <laughs> the ridiculous things. So even though we are pilots, we weren't allowed to rent an airplane and go flying on our layovers, that sort of thing. So uh, we made a bit of a fuss about that. And after a few years, that was all relinquished and we went back to our original supplier. But they, funnily enough, during that period... <laughs> <laughs> there were some very odd accidents. So people, uh, someone who shall remain nameless, uh, got quite badly injured on a skiing accident. Uh, they're up on the slopes uh, near LA. And um, Great Bear, I think it was, the, the crew used to go Big to. Big Bear. And so Big Bear, that's it. So they got themselves shipped back to their room, whereupon they called the... <laughs> the reception and said, I've fallen over in my bath and blood <laughs> everywhere. And uh, they were successfully treated. And uh, another bloke who was actually carrying his hang glider to the top of a big ridge in South Africa um, said, oh, I was just hill walking and I fell over instead of what really happened was he hang glided off the edge and flew into a big rock. Um, and uh, yes, exactly. So people were having to make up all these stories <laughs> to get make sure that they were covered. Um, and I, I used to go, I did shark diving in wow. South Africa. And, um, you know, we, we used to just do sensible things like renting motorcycles in LA and have fun. Uh, but uh, you're not there for that long, so it's not like you can do too much. But, I mean, you could just as easily get run over crossing the road in New York as many of these things. That's true. Because all the traffic's coming from the wrong direction. Oh, yeah. You have to look the correct way, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. So, um, well, we we managed to cover uh, at least one piece of feedback and uh, several news items with uh, part one, and uh, we are going to continue episode 575 in, I don't know how many hours, um, uh, yeah, about three hours or so, 6.30 uh, Eastern. And so soon, shortly, and if you're listening to the audio podcast, uh, like in just a few seconds, you're going to uh, hear the uh, the replacement host's uh, voices, and we'll uh continue with our show but in the meantime we're going to say goodbye to captain nick and nick camacho thanks for coming yeah bye and i'm gonna say hi steph see you guys later hey i told you we're gonna have some others join us in part two and f- joining me from her lakeside studio in south Dr. Scott Ever, marathon runner, strength training junkie, and IPA connoisseur, commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper. It's Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. It is so good to finally be here. It's been a long day, and this is going to be the best part of the day. So, looking forward well, to it. Well, that's good to hear, and it's about damn time. That's all I have to I know, say. right? I'm sorry. The best part of all our right. day. It is the best part of our day. You're right, Liz. Okay. 
Let's uh, continue with uh, some more feedback. We started it. News, news uh, first. Oh, that's fine. Never mind. We're going to start with news first. Thank you. Control Room is uh, trying to maintain control of me, which is a difficult thing to do. We're going to start with this from the news source, Airline Wiki. (laughs) (laughs) AirlineWeekly.com. Yeah, since the part one, uh, I've I've had a little bit of wine, and it's not helping my ability to speak. All right. American Airlines' burgeoning southern strategy will get a boost in 2027 when Charlotte Douglas International Airport plans to open a fourth parallel runway. That strip of concrete sharply increases airport capacity at one of the uh, carrier's most profitable hubs. American operates second-largest hub at Charlotte, where I guess the the biggest one would be Dallas Fort Worth. Dallas I'm Fort guessing. Worth, yeah. Okay. Oh, so Charlotte's even bigger than Chicago. Oh yeah. Okay. But for American Airlines, I mean, well, for American it's profitable because Steph flies out. Yeah. Of yeah, it's profitable because Steph flies. Because out of it. <laughs> yeah, because I spend all my money going places on American Airlines. You're welcome, American Airlines. Yes, this is so. Well, that should be part of this news article, but it's it not. really should. <laughs> uh, let's see. They're going to operate about 600 daily peak day departures this summer. The aircraft broke ground June 9 on the new 10,000-foot runway located west of the terminal complex between existing runways 18 Center and 18 Right, or 36 Center and 36 Left. That will cost $1.6 billion. Hey, that's a deal. $1.6 billion. Billion. Dollars. Um, and, and that actually sounds like a pretty good price to I, me. You know, I don't know the current market rate for building a new 10,000 foot runway. runway so yeah. you could pretty much put any dollar amount on it and it would sound like a lot. Or well, it's less than five billion, which is what I would have quoted for the whole oh, thing. Okay. Yeah, of course you would. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Uh, the new runway will increase airport capacity by about 25%, American Chief Operating Officer David Seymour said. That will enable the One World carrier to serve more destinations and possibly to approach 800 daily Charlotte departures. Ooh. Oh, I can't wait for the increase in air traffic. <laughs> I have a few things to say about this. The, the good thing <laughs> is... Continue the, the article and then we will talk about some of the, uh, okay. maybe the pitfalls here. Okay. When our Charlotte hub does really well, our system does really well, Seymour said. That's why you see us double down here in Charlotte. Charlotte is a strategically important. Charlotte is. Steph, could you continue reading this article? I would would love to. (laughs) Thank you. Charlotte is strategically important to American because it is the second hub in the rapidly growing U.S. South. Delta Airlines hub in Atlanta is the main hub in the geographic region. Oh, yeah. Only if you're in Atlanta. Uh, That stretches from Virginia to the north, or in the north, to Florida in the south and west to Louisiana. Unlike most other U.S. regions, there is not a third competing hub. United Airlines Washington Dulles hub acts as something of an into the south uh, gateway that drives a significant amount of passenger traffic to both American and Delta. American currently operates nine banks or groupings of flights within a one-hour period in Charlotte. Call those pushes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, The banks enable quick connections. Currently in each bank, American operates about 70 arrivals and 70 departures. With the new runway, the numbers could increase by 20 arrivals and 20 departures in 2028. That could bring American close to 800 daily departures up from 600 today, as we already said. 
Before the pandemic, uh, American, not Americana, uh, operated up to 700 daily departures from Charlotte. What's holding us back right now is regional capacity, Seymour said. Right now we have 100 regional aircraft that aren't flying. As those are coming back, we're putting them in prom- uh, predominant hubs. Hmm. American, facing what is widely viewed to be a captain shortage at regional airlines, has cut service to smaller cities around the U.S., From Charlotte, that includes flights to New Haven, Connecticut, and Toledo, Ohio, both of which the airline no longer serves. Jack Christine, the Charlotte airport's chief chief infrastructure officer, said that the last time the airport opened a new runway in 2010, airport traffic rose 33% as U.S. Airways quickly boosted its schedule. The airport handled nearly 48 million passengers last year and is on track to surpass the 50 million annual passenger record set in 2019 this year. Airport CEO Haley Gentry said, summer traffic is about 10% ahead of 2019 levels, she added. In recent years, American has focused increasingly... Focused... <laughs> <laughs> who edited... Who, Where is the editor? Staff, ed, editor, staff. editor. God. Let, me, let, me, let, me, let me fix this sentence for them. Okay. In recent years, American has focused... American has increasingly focused. That's going to be better. In recent years, American has increasingly focused on its four Sunbelt hubs in Dallas, Fort Worth, and Charlotte, and to a lesser extent, Miami and Phoenix. It stepped up that strategy during the pandemic when it restored capacity faster than rivals, taking advantage of demand for domestic travel, particularly to Sunbelt leisure destinations. In 2021, when many international airports suffered from reduced flying, Dallas-Fort Worth, Charlotte, Phoenix, and Miami became the 2nd, 6th, 11th, and 12th busiest airports in the world, respectively, by passenger numbers. At an investor conference in May, CEO Robert, um, I pronounce his last name, Isomism, mm. I'm not really sure. I, don't know. I see it all the time, but I don't really know. Yeah. Uh, said American trimmed, quote, investment flying to focus on its most profitable routes. Investment flying at American includes, for example, the airline's pre-pandemic buildup in Los Angeles, where it competes fiercely with Delta, Southwest, and United. Our Sunbelt hubs, whether it's Miami or Charlotte or DFW or Phoenix, are situated in the places that have so much potential for growth, so much growth that it's going on right now, and so much concentration of migration of people into those cities. Okay. All right. Yeah, I think we could probably. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it just goes on. It just goes on and on and on and on. Here, I'm going to read this Words. last last little paragraph though, because mm-hmm. this might help our conversation about mm-hmm. this potentially. The Charlotte Airport is also building gates to accommodate more passengers and flights. The air airport. <laughs> airport. Oh, airport. airport. What is that? <laughs> I don't know. Editor they, has. They need somebody to actually proofread these things. Yeah, if, if this was proofread, proofread, it would go much easier for mm-hmm. us trying to read it. The airport has 114 gates currently, and American occupies 91. Ten new gates on Concourse A are slated to open in 2024. Uh, That will be used by Delta and other carriers. American will take over most of their current gates. It's not just about the runways. Uh, They said of Americans need to grow in Charlotte. That's so true. Well, if they're going to, kind of when we were talking about them building the new, uh, adding the new runway and 200 plus more uh, aircraft movements per day, that's... uh, it's going to create quite a bit of congestion uh, with the existing airport infrastructure. And that seems to be the uh, kind of the biggest talking points surrounding all of this. Um, so along with the uh, fourth runway, they're also building some uh, taxiway end arounds for the center runway, which will help out 
significantly. Anyone who's flown into Charlotte and had to wait to cross the center runway from the west runway will know exactly what I speak of there. It can be quite a lengthy <laughs> delay at times. Um, so that will help with that. Um, I'm not sure how much it helps out with um, the ramp uh, situation. <laughs> well, the, uh, there's no way it. you can improve that. You'd have it's to redesign the entire. Right oh, it's perfect. No, yeah. I, I mean, no how could you make it any better? Than there's it no problems is. with it if you, you fly on Acme, yeah. because then, especially once they open those new A gates, because you'll just go around all the end of it. Where are the, the A gates? Uh, Acme currently parks at the A gates. Oh, we're already at uh, the A gates. I thought that's what we were vacating gates. them. You're going to vacate them for different A gates. Oh. They're okay. building a new block of so. Um, they can like expand the, the A gate out. Side, yes. Well, so oh. on the west side of the airport, there, yeah. as you're taxiing into mm -hmm. the gates normally occupied by Acme, mm -hmm. if you look north, there's another new bank of like a brand new section of the terminal. Mm -hmm. Those are also A gates. That's where oh, like Southwest and Gotcha. Okay. Uh, United. And I didn't Frontier know that was still called the A. Okay. Those are A gates, and they're building a very similar looking addition to the concourse on the uh, just to the north of that as well, mm. which actually has taken uh, shape in the past couple months here. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Very good. Well, I can't so. wait. Well, you know what? By the time all that takes place, guess what? <laughs> I'm not going to be doing this care. job anymore. <laughs> Let me tell you how excited I am for more pushes of traffic during the day, oh, more arrival so and departure banks. I can't wait to I hear love that. It, uh, it, it's... Not fun for me either, I'll mm. say, on busy Saturdays and Sundays. Yeah. Sometimes. So you may have to, like, change your SOP from, like, showing up at the airport five minutes before pushback to maybe 10. Oh, no, that doesn't have to change. I was actually talking about my flying specifically <laughs> and how it That's is impacted. I mean. by you're flying. Oh, you're flying. Like no, you're, oh, like me flying. in the airplane. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Me piloting. I thought you airplane. meant the passenger. Yeah. Yeah. Arrival pushes, uh, especially with north traffic, can be challenging sometimes. Because they're all flying over the top of where your airport exactly. is. Exactly. Well, the the two uh, arrivals from the southwest there, the Jonesy and the Banker, kind of split our airspace. Yep, I usually I call that I'm ours waving at we, you when I'm flying yeah, usually, kind of in usually. from Atlanta from jo on the Jonesy. Jonesy, yep. yep. Mm -hmm. Jonesy? So. Jonesy. Jonesy. No. Pretty sure it's Jonesy. Yeah, it's Jonesy. I don't know. Jonesy. Yep. I hear some people just say Jones. No, but Liz sure was Jonesy. saying something else. I'm not sure. Maybe she's trying to make a joke. I was. Ah, was bad, she was. It was a bad joke. Yeah. <sighs> so anyway, exciting yeah. times for Charlotte. Growth. Growth is always good. I mm. think. Sometimes. <laughs> it's always good sometimes. Unless it's cancer. Oh, I haven't wow. even had any wine. <laughs> she said, unless it's cancer. All right. Well, thanks, Liz. That's really well, uplifting. On that uplifting note, <laughs> what's our next uh, story here? Are we moving okay. on to feedback yet? Are we done with news? Oh, we need to move on quickly here before it just goes completely down the toilet. Off. Yeah. One yeah. E, and she's going to do the two and three. One E, okay. two and three. So we're looking at one E, uh, item number two. And this is again from Paddle Your Own Canoe. Flight attendant charged with trying to smuggle 1.5 kilograms. That's like three or four pounds, four something pounds of cocaine hidden mm -hmm. in secret compartment in luggage. I guess not so secret compartment. 
A flight attendant who holds dual U.S. and Jamaican citizenship is due to appear in court on Wednesday charged with attempting to smuggle 1.5 kilograms worth of, it says work, work of, okay, we need to contact Paddle Your Own Canoe and ask him what the heck. That last story wasn't no, Paddle Your Oh, that wasn't even either. Paddle that Your Own Canoe. A, no. Yeah. Oh, never mind. Sorry, Paddle Your Own Canoe. Okay, uh, to smuggle 1.5 kilograms worth of cocaine onto a flight bound for New York City. Michelle Denise Virgo, uh, 47 years old, was caught by security officers as she went to board a flight at Sangster International Airport in Montego Bay, Jamaica, on June 6, was charged with several breaches of Jamaica's Dangerous Drugs Act on June 10. Virgo is due to appear at St. James Parish Court on June 14, where prosecutors will allege that she tried to smuggle the cocaine, which was hidden in a secret compartment in her luggage. Officers from Jamaica Constabulary, no, Constabulary, yeah, Constabulary Force Narcotics Division estimate that the cocaine has a street value of $75,000. That's it? Yeah, I mean, that's three pounds of uh, almost four pounds of drugs for $75,000. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the going rate is these days, but that's, I thought I got much like, I don't know what runways are worth. I'm really not sure what cocaine is. Yeah. Well, I have more, an idea of what a runway runway is worth (laughs) than cocaine because, you know, it's been so long since I've done the cocaine thing. No, it's like, I've never (laughs) done the cocaine thing, just to be clear. (laughs) Um, Virgo was attempting to board a flight to New York. When she pulled aside, when she was pulled aside by security officers who flagged an issue with her bag, although police have not yet identified which airline the flight attendant worked for, uh, she I'm sure it was American. Uh, she had been charged with possession of cocaine, dealing in cocaine, and attempting to export cocaine, and conspiracy to export cocaine. Wow. Okay. What uh, what uh, crimes do we have that are applicable? regarding cocaine to charge this person with. Well, we got possession, dealing, attempting to export, and conspiracy And to conspiracy, export. too. Yes. Yes, hmm. good. Apply Throw them the all. Book at her. Yeah. They're going to, yep, through the book at her. Uh, we'll see what sticks. Okay, well, there we go. That's nice. Not. Not. Let's not. continue. You know what? Don't, don't do drugs. And don't definitely don't deal them or smuggle them. No, That's good advice, day. Steph. Good advice. Um, the Third but not least. bad passenger slash airline employee behavior is uh, this one, uh, also from Paddle Your Own Canoe. United Airlines baggage handlers stole bags of marijuana from passenger luggage before they were grassed up. Huh? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I don't know either. I was hoping. I am not I down was, with the lingo <laughs> anymore. I was hoping. That you would like say, oh, that well, maybe means... as we as we read it, it will help me understand. Okay, so the, I don't uh... think it's going to help. Trust me. Oh, okay. And because when I read this, I actually read this before we started recording. I'm going. I don't get what they're trying to say here. It's but, a British okay. term. Is it a British term? What does yeah. grassed up mean? A grass is like a rat. So you you were grassed up. Oh. before they like smoke the marijuana. No, no, it's oh. like a rat. But, like you're. But, but like... They, they are they are making a play on grass. Oh, before they were given up, like yeah. like ratted out by somebody yeah. or. Yeah, and I think they're trying to make, uh, they're doing a play on words. Okay, Mm. that makes a little bit more sense to me now. Uh, Two United Airlines baggage handlers have been indicted on a charge of conspiracy to distribute a controlled substance 
after federal prosecutors accused them of running an illegal ring of employees who stole marijuana from checked luggage at San Francisco Airport. Joel Dunn and Adrian Webb allegedly ran the criminal network from the beginning of 2020 until they were grasped up by an informant who had been approached by Dunn to steal marijuana from passenger luggage. According to the undercover informant, Dunn would pay them as much as $2,000 per day for stealing marijuana from checked luggage, and sometimes those involved in pilfering cannabis were raking in $10,000 per week. Not a bad job, Uh, Dunn and Webb, along with two unnamed suspects, were identified by the informant as the ringleaders of this criminal gang who would transfer all of the stolen marijuana into 20-gallon trash bags, which then be, would then be loaded into their own personal vehicles. Prosecutors say they have video surveillance footage of Dunn and Webb transferring the bags into the vehicle in this SFO employee parking lot after they were robbed at gunpoint in June 2021. As part of the police investigation, surveillance footage was reviewed, which showed Dunn, Webb, and several other employees moving black trash bags out of the secure area of the airport and walking towards the parking lot. More than a year later, I mean, did they ever think that maybe there's some kind of surveillance um, video cameras? Yeah, but if you put it in the trash bags, nobody's going to notice. Oh, that's true. There's no, yeah, that's not suspicious. I'm also curious who's checking marijuana in their luggage. That just seems like not a good idea either. Yeah. Maybe they're using that luggage that Durga was using, the secret compartment. Maybe. I don't, like, I don't understand what's going on in the world anymore. Oh, are you kidding me? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, join the club. Yeah, join the club. No. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, Actually, I'm not surprised understands. by anything. Yeah, no, nobody understands anything. what's going on in the world anymore. It's just a crazy place. Uh-huh. Hmm. Well, huh. so they were doing bad stuff. All right. Yeah, they Again, were doing bad things. Don't do drugs. Be doing. Don't steal drugs. Don't sell drugs. Don't. Okay. So yeah. thank you, Liz. Uh, grassed on slash up. Grassing on up. Grasses. British slang to tell the police about the criminal activity of someone who uh, he refused to grass on his friends. Someone grassed him up. Okay. We call it like narked or narked. Ratted that would have. Yeah. Narked would have worked here. Would have been better understood in. Yeah. But, but I see the not play really on words that they're trying to do there. Yeah. That's kind of clever. Let's get to know Steffi. Let's do that. And I just got to find the right butt to push. There we go. Getting Let's learn what Dr. Steff has been doing. Oh, you want me to sing with you? Okay. Getting to like us. Getting to hope you like us too. I know Steph loves it when Liz and I sing those wonderful lyrics. No, I like to listen to you guys sing. I'm just glad that you <laughs> really don't get me to try to do it. it <laughs> that's why we sing, to keep sing you for from me. singing. That's right, yes. All right. So, that's wise. Um, so it's been, uh, I don't know how long, but uh, you haven't been with us for a while. So uh, what's been up with you? I don't know when the last time I was on the show. Doesn't but matter. I don't think it's actually been that long. No, no it hasn't. I think you were we on did like, a, we did like the a beginning part of a show or, or yeah, latter part of the, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, just thinking about last week, um, not a whole lot. I was actually sick. I had a kind of an upper respiratory thing going on for almost two weeks. Um, I'm still like just ever so slightly congested. Um, not great. But last week, um, and the reason why I was not on the show last week, 
it was particularly bad on Monday. Um, I kind of made it through the weekend. It wasn't terrible. I thought it was getting better. It had started kind of the Wednesday before that. Um, I actually flew on Saturday. We had a really nice weather day. I think we did 30 loads of jumpers. Um, and it didn't, I mean, it was congested. Like I was kind of, uh, not to be super gross, but just kind of snotty, but not, nothing was well, plugged up, already, nothing hurt. We've always nothing. considered you as being kind of snotty. <laughs> uh, so that's, you, you considered me snooty, but snotty. I don't know. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but nothing was like no sinus pain, nothing hurt. There was no, nothing blocked. My ears were fine. Um, and then it was kind of worse on Sunday. I really don't think it had anything to do with flying. Um, it was also when there was kind of a lot of smoke hanging around these parts from some of the wildfires the in Canada. Liz left. Convenient. Yeah, she didn't want to hear it. She wanted to take the blame for that. Uh, just kidding. Seriously, though, I hope that situation is under much better control. I, I have heard no much idea about how it lately. So I haven't must either. Have it under hopefully, hopefully, we'll ask so Liz was, when she comes back. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty terrible, and it was all making its way. I mean, not as bad as it was, like certainly where Liz is or New York, um, but I think it was irritating to my my sensitive uh, nasal passage oh, base. So sensitive. Yeah, so sensitive. Um, so su- Sunday, I didn't really feel great. And then Monday was was not good at all. I was very congested. I don't really think I still had any sinus pain, but just kind of my, you know, head felt like a giant balloon, kind of swimmy. What's going on with you? Dude, I don't, I don't know. It was bad. Um, bad enough that I canceled my afternoon clinic um, because I'd lost my voice from the post-nasal drip. Uh, so couldn't speak very well and just didn't feel 100%. So I said, you know what? This is silly. It's been going on for almost a week. I need to like get some rest and kick this. I thought it was better earlier in the weekend, and it's just back with a, a vengeance. Um, the problem is canceling clinic for me just kind of creates these downstream effects of everyone gets piled up into the next couple of days to week weeks. Um, mm-hmm. And it also turned out that I had to cancel my entire day on Friday last week and kind of condense everything on Thursday um, to attend a uh, family funeral in the Chicago area. So that all kind of happened at the same time. Um, not not unexpected, um, but just kind of one of those things waiting on when the timing was going to occur. But You need to hire um, another backstabber. I know. We have a bunch of us, too. <laughs> Everyone's schedule is full. Hmm. Um, so... Last week, and then especially this week, and into next week a bit, my schedule is just, my work schedule is kind of rough. Um, It was very busy today, which is why I missed joining you guys earlier. Um, I actually still have work that I kind of pushed off into tomorrow morning because I just had enough for tonight, and I'll be more alert to finish up paperwork and some documentation stuff first thing in the morning. And... uh, yeah, it's going to be another day like that tomorrow and on Friday mm. and next week. And oh, I don't know. That's all right. It, it is what it is. You know, it happens sometimes. So it's, 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 it's fine. It's just nature of work sometimes. Um, but yeah, that's kept me kind of busy. That's why I was not here last week. I just really did not have any extra free time last mm-hmm. week. Um, so the weekend I was actually, um, nope. Um, I'm trying to think I was actually back for the weekend. Um, but again, still just kind of congested, not great, had some other family life stuff going on. So rested and um, doing much better today. Even Monday and Tuesday, I was still kind of snotty. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
for lack of a better. Well, as long as we've known how, you, yeah, st- still, still, yeah. Um, but today, much better, like noticeably better. Not needing to reach for the tissue every two seconds to clear out my nasal passageways, and um, yeah. So the the weather this week here has been terrible. Uh, basically, just rain, storms, rain, rain. Yeah. humid. Um, I think it's going to continue that way through the weekend, so I don't anticipate any flying or sky sport activities this weekend. Um, but hopefully that gives me a chance to catch up on other stuff just around the house and take advantage of that time. Mm-hmm. Catch up on the work stuff. Liz, uh, while you were gone, we were discussing the uh, smoke from oh, yeah. Canada. How's How are the fires um doing well, over there they've I, been I put think out they're getting a, a, a handle on them but they're still happening because they're in a very remote area I, I think they're having trouble fighting them really but i think they are getting there yeah like we were thinking we hadn't heard a whole lot about it recently um other things dominating the news so yeah hopefully no news is good news right well i hope that you're on the mend and uh, yeah i, I guess so. they they're calling this I think they call it a cutoff low or something like that. That's just swirling around down here in the southeastern United stuck. States. Yep. And it's just like constantly off and on rain showers and storms and all that kind of yucky stuff here, yeah. which is kind of no. not normal for June. It's usually a little no. bit. I mean, it's not warm outside either. It's like. No. Which is the. That's not the, even 70. That's the good part of it. Is that 60, it's just 66 not as, degrees. Are you, is, it, is it that low? Is that cool here? Yeah, that 66. Cool? Okay, I don't even think see. we got to 70 today. Let me check and see what my phone Fahrenheit sounds about. Well, 69 Ooh. right here now. In, in, Texas uh, Anlashock winds with 109. Yeah, Texas Anlashock winds with 109 degrees there in Odessa, Midland, Odessa, Texas. Tejas, I guess they have, what do they call it? Hot heat bubble or something like heat I don't dome. know what the... Heat dome. Heat dome. Heat bubble, heat the heat dome. dome and we have the... What was it? The, the cutoff low, low or, cut off low, cut off low and heat domes and yeah. early season Crazy hurricanes stuff. forming in the Atlantic yeah, and a, ugh, you know, a tropical Brett. thing out there in the, in the Atlantic. And uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, that's been my exciting, not exciting life the past two weeks. All right. Well, uh, as we said, we hope that you're on the mend and you start feeling better and the weather improves and you can start doing your uh, jumper dumping, jumper dumping, <laughs> yeah, jumper dumper. Yes, yes. Yeah. So. Okay. Excellent. Well, you would, would you like to do some feedback? Let's do some feedback. Okay. And uh, I guess I don't need to play the bumper again. Yeah, Let's uh, go to... Uh, video number three. Oh, video number three. Okay. Let me... Go ahead and uh, click here, and I think it's this one. Yes. Okay. So I suppose I should. Um, it's comical, except it's not. Co- oh, his reaction's the best, actually. So from, should probably narrate this. Richard, he titled this Hole in One. I know what happened here. The cone was in the wrong place. Hole in one, literally, Richard Nash. And uh, let's see, so we're looking at this video, and uh, it uh, shows a, like a golf cart kind of vehicle approaching a wingtip, right wingtip of an airplane. And it looks like it's trying to, uh, I don't know exactly why he did that little swerve there at the end, but he hits this like drainage. Um, yeah, like a, a 
grate. Grate or whatever in there's the. There's a drainage uh, grate there. I missed that part. Yeah, let me uh, back it up here. I think I can do that. So and you see it coming, and then there's this that drainage gate uh, grate right yeah. below the w- right wing tip. Yep, yep. And then that. he just like goes right over the top of it, and guess what happens when he does that? It pops the golf cart slash utility vehicle up in the air, and then of course it catches the the roof catches the right i think he would have hit it anyway though like look at that Yeah, that's what i'm wondering i keep i kept looking at that as well stuff thinking well what was he thinking does he think he's going to clear this some people have zero concept of dimensions of things spatial awareness spatial awareness um i see that with people in their own vehicles sometimes um i mean this is a golf cart it's pretty small you would think you could tell where the little roof awning is and that right. is probably not going to clear that wingtip also why even bother driving that close to the airplane you got all this other space i don't know i mean if you look i mean okay so what let's back it up see if there are any obstacles the only obstacles that we see here are there's the a cones, cone but they're quite a distance away and and then he pops this thing up and then he well, course, i think it comes up in the air because he hit the wing watch Right. Oh, okay. There. So it has it catches nothing it to do and with pulls it up. Grate. It doesn't have anything to do with the grate. Oh. Okay. So he he walks out and looks at it, and like, he's like, "Ah, there's something wrong with this vehicle." <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> like, how dare this vehicle crash into the wingtip of this airplane? Yeah. Yeah. What? Um. I, uh, I don't want to use the the language that I want to use would require me to put a, an explicit tag uh, on our show and i don't want to do that but come on that was just i think he just didn't realize that the roof was that tall i think he thought he was going to go underneath it yeah i think you're right Hmm. oh let me see if i can lift this thing off of this thing maybe nobody will notice (laughs) although they're like pieces of of the wingtip i don't know it's a wingtip or part of his vehicle or both both. both. yeah very nice don't do that yeah don't here's a psa for you don't do that. Don't do That's that. dumb. No. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I got another nice video. Funny video, like, though. I did laugh a little bit. Nice video. Okay. No one, no one was hurt. Minor property yeah, that's damage. That's true. No, <laughs> just the airplane, maybe a little bit. Mostly that vehicle Mostly that he the, was in. His yeah. feelings were it's a golf cart. His feelings. Drive. His feelings. <laughs> his pride. His yeah. ego. Um, you said Tim Van Ram? Yeah, he sent in a nice KLM ad video. Oh, KLM where is that? Ad. Which one is that? Number five. Number five. Oh, right here. Okay. Oh, because we already did the number four. Okay, gotcha. Uh, we received this from our friend and the community member, Tim, Tim Van Ram. In the Bay Area. In the Bay Area of uh, California. And I think it's this one right here. Cabin crew, yellow cabin door select is automatic. Wind speed, three zero knots. Set wing flaps. Okay. Flaps set. Controls. We're looking at video Set of a swan. Look at the swan. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's taking off. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> in slow motion. It's kind of in slow motion, and it's very. Every two minutes, somewhere in the world, KLM takes to the skies. It's not over yet. So it was a KLM commercial. KLM. Now now they're coming in for landing.
As I step down Little bit of a crosswind, a little bit of a white drift. Landing gear is extended. Okay, oh, look at that. And touchdown. That is so cool. <laughs> it is cool. Uh, the, the, what do you call them? Are they feet? No. Yeah, they're feet. Yeah. Slippers. Yeah. Kind of just accept or just like taking the waves, the water, bouncing around. It's just really, really cool. Yeah, you know, we I mean, can the only feet, they're, they're just skimming across yeah, the top. You know? There's only so much we can do to describe this. Uh, but you really need to watch this video. Uh, two KLM commercials, and uh, the instead of an airplane, uh, it's a beautiful swan, white swan, <laughs> and uh, that's yeah, really, and overlaid really cool. with like what you might hear for you know, right. If we're really in planning, yeah, yeah. Very. Thank you, Tim, for sending that in. Very cool. Now, Keith from Little. Rock. Oh, let me read the uh, let me read the uh, thing here from the video. Met Kellem Benjelal Duith Vurdat Jaythuith Kompt. All right. I, I don't think you nailed. You're it. welcome. No, I did nail it. That is definitely. I, Definitely don't. It, speak it almost Dutch. sounded like I was like a, a native Dutch speaker when I just said that. Yeah, it was so smooth. <laughs> I'm going to take a picture of it so I can translate it and see what it, oh, it actually says. Can we put it back. I took a picture. No, it's right. Okay. I got it. With KLM something 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 something. That's okay. what it says. Yeah, because Mitt is German Mitt. for with. Yeah. Mitt. German. It's not German. It's Dutch. I, I know, know, but oh. it's probably the same. They they the share same the same. Thing. They said the same word. <laughs> something. <laughs> Gosh darn it. Note to self, don't drink while you're trying to do a show. Yeah, that's pretty entertaining. Hmm, I lost the picture. Hold on. There, go ahead and put it back up for just two seconds. Okay. We'll cut this out and we'll uh, fix this in I'm going to reload it. Go right down oh, no. at the end. Oh, maybe I can find it faster. Boom, and open, and uh, add to stream. And oh, no. Nope, oh, no, that's no, the wrong, wrong one. <laughs> uh, okay. Hold on. Gosh darn it. Uh, I thought I... Selected this one before. There go. Gosh, that's really, really loud, that last one. Okay, here we go. Ben je al tuas vordat i or je je or ye tuas comp. With KLM, you are already home before you get home. Oh, you're home airport, airline. Don't you feel that way, Steph, when you're flying on American Airlines in the Charlotte Airport? Yes. You're at home. I'm home before I... Before you even get home. Before you get home. Aww. We're home. I could have been at home already, but instead I'm still <laughs> waiting to cross the center <laughs> runway and then waiting for ramp control to get us to our gate. But like within a few hours, you'll be home. But in a couple hours, I'll actually be home. <laughs> 10 miles away from the airport. Why is everybody in such a rush? <laughs> here, wait. I think I could probably play this. Um, oh, darn it. I think I... Uh, here we go. Hold on. <laughs> I have to make, make my phone louder. That's exactly the way I said it. Uh -huh. with, with, a, with a more masculine voice. Yeah. Right. Very nice. Okay, moving on. Okay, in, in, in the midst of all that, I think I ended up just dumping all the videos that I was going to play. I only have one more, I think, so let me open that one up. Okay. Number six. Number six. Yes, ma'am. Um, okay, 
this is from, oh, from Keith in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, Arkansas for uh, Captain Nick. I hope Don't all encourage well. him. I wanted to share, yeah, you're right. I wanted to share a couple recent trips I've done with an amazing organization called Pilots in and Pause. Pilots in Pause is a 501c3 organization that runs a website message board as a meeting for volunteers engaged in the valuable services of rescuing, sheltering, and adopting animals, and volunteer pilots and plane owners re, uh, willing to assist with animal transportation. Hillel flies for this them. is yeah, this is definitely the organization I think that uh, Hillel Hillel is involved is in this, involved yes. with, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and he's uh, shared many stories of these. In fact, he ended up <laughs> adopting one of his passengers. He's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, what a beautiful cute. dog. Yeah. yeah. The intent of Pilots in Pause is to provide an environment when in which volunteers can come together and arrange or schedule rescue flights, overnight foster care, or shelter, and all other related activities. We'll have a link to their organization in the, excuse me, in the show notes. Um, Keith says, I've flown two flights with them so far, one transporting two dogs from North Little Rock, Arkansas, to Indianapolis, and another more recently transporting an Irish setter from North Little Rock to Stevensville, Texas. Both trips were handoffs where I then handed the dogs off to another pilot to take them to their final destination. I believe the dogs I took to Indianapolis were taken to Upper Michigan and the lovely Irish setter, Honey, went to a new home in Mesa, Arizona. I've attached some photos from the trips. I get daily email notifications of proposed trips that will start or cross within 100 nautical miles of my home airport, and it looks like something. Or and if it looks like something I can do, I can respond to the message, volunteering myself for the whole trip or one leg of the trip. It's a wonderful organization, and I want to encourage any of your pilot listeners to check out their website, pilotsinpause.org, and sign up for a trip. Last, I know, Captain Jeff, you're a short-timer now at Acme. Yes, I am. And before you hang up your wings, I would love to do another meetup in Little Rock if your schedule allows. I've copied uh, Tim Qualls here, as I'm sure he would love a meetup as well. Also, once you get your RV going, we will have a full RV pad with power at our house in Little Rock that is just waiting for Acme ground to have a layover for a day or or two. Yes. I can't wait. I guarantee I'll be taking care of uh, taking advantage of that. Anyway, uh, Keith uh, Carlson, take care of blue skies as always. And uh, he uh, treated um, myself and uh, Tim Qualls and uh, he and his family to a wonderful meal uh, at a place there in downtown Little Rock. Um, I guess it was earlier this year or maybe it was last year. I don't know. I lose track of time, but Great guy. He uh, he's the one that sent us feedback about him buying this Technum. Uh, what is it? A twenty two thousand something or other Technum something or other. Uh, beautiful light sport, um, high wing, single engine uh, aircraft, and uh, I'm glad that he's uh, putting it to good use. And I'm sure that Liz, you were showing some of the yeah. mm-hmm. photos there of uh, of the doggies. And uh, what a great yeah, what a great uh, service, you know. All right. Steffi's muted. Ah, I keep trying to talk, but I had myself muted, so oh, I wouldn't talk over probably your... Sorry. I should, you know. It's not like I've never done this before. <laughs> <laughs> I was say, no, those, those are fantastic pictures. I really love seeing all of that. It's a great organization. Um, Hillel has reached out to me several times to help with 
some of those trips, but I don't own my own airplane, mm-hmm. so it's difficult for me to really get involved too much mm-hmm. with this. But um, yeah, if you're out there and you've you've got your own airplane or access to one and looking for a worthy reason to go fly, this is it. So exactly. Oh, it's a P two thousand eight. P two. I'm sorry, I said that, but I was muted. Ah. Well, thank you. I didn't hear you. <laughs> I tried. You didn't hear me. I can't imagine why. <laughs> I was also taking a jab at your short timers. Uh, oh, were you? Well, what, yeah, what, what little clever <laughs> snarky thing did you say? Uh, it, you know, it didn't. It only would work in the moment. It was something okay. about uh, something about your memory was something, and I was like, "Oh, that's a that's from the short timers." My short time memory. <laughs> short, yeah, yeah, short time memory. Okay, as long as you kind of diss my memory, I'm good with. But if you start. I did. No, no, just the, mem- just the memory. Just the memory. There were no other. Just okay. the memory. Then yeah. I'll take offense. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, let's move on to less. Not uh, more, but less. Not more, less. Uh, hi, APG crew and passengers. Truck driver Les from Iowa here. My son just completed his IOE in the that's initial operating experience in the A330 right seat. So his world just got bigger as Acme flies the A330, mostly on international flights. He has flown the CRJs. Pardon? I was going to say congratulations to your son, Les. Yeah. Oh, let's see. Let's play some. There we go. Hey, let it go. Uh, He has flown the CRJs, MD-80, 88, 757-767, 737, and now the Airbus A330, which he has already fallen in love with. On a recent two... You didn't read this one when Nick was here. That would have been yeah, a whole well, probably tangential conversation. Yeah. On a recent two-part APG episode, two news items were discussed. Passenger opening emergency exit door in flight and ag uh, agricultural spray planes getting shot at. I was reminded of pilot tales from spray pilot friends of mine. I grew up on a farm in the 1950s and 60s with a grass strip airport in the adjacent farm. Beads Lake Private Airport, three miles northwest of Hampton, Iowa. Being that close, I spent a lot of time in my youth hanging around the airport. I've made friends with several spray pilots. There are, uh, there are a few interesting items I learned from them. I believe the APG passengers may find of interest. The item which ties the recent news of opening doors in flight and spray planes together. Each spray plane has an oh poopy handle. If the spray plane gets in trouble, I think that he's probably substituting poopy with another word here. It's a synonym. Yes. Mm -hmm. If the spray plane gets in trouble, the pilot can pull a handle, which opens a trap door in the bottom of the tank, instantly dropping the plane payload. He says, talk about opening a passenger exit door in flight. In seconds, the spray plane will have a sudden loss of up to 800 gallons of spray a maximum of 6,800 pounds. I will defer you to a a licensed and experienced pilot to discuss how a sudden, no, I will defer to you, licensed and experienced pilots, uh, to discuss uh, how a sudden shift in your small plane center of gravity by 6,800 pounds payload from an aircraft with an empty weight of 6,750 pounds affects the load and balance envelope. Now, as a side, I'm thinking that Steph (laughs) might have... Some idea of not payload. on that magnitude, but yeah, uh, yeah change in uh, sudden change in weight and uh, and and the balance of the aircraft is um, that gets your attention is interesting. You know, mm-hmm. ours is pretty controlled, and 
we know it's coming. This is a little bit different. Yeah. This will be an O-poop moment. An O-poopy moment, yes. Yeah. My spray pilot friends share such action will challenge the elasticity of the best sphincter muscle any pilot may have. (laughs) Hey, we're bringing it all around full circle to the planet that we were discussing earlier. Um, Okay. Uh, let's see. The, they advise flying along at 130 to 160 miles per hour, less than six feet AGL. Hmm. Most of the time, less than three feet above ground and dropping your load while trying to push the stick forward to the stops to keep the flopping, to keep from flopping the plane over on its back. It's a ride that you won't find at Disney World. My spray pilot friends tell me historically the O-Poopy does get pulled by spray pilots at least once in their career. The attached YouTube video is from an Ohio-based spray pilot. Oops, I don't think I read or uh, downloaded the video. Is it worth downloading? Have you no, looked I at that, Liz? Just put it in the show notes. Okay, okay, we'll put it in the show notes. The attached YouTube video is from a, a an Ohio-based spray pilot with a two-seater side-by-side configuration spray plane who takes along a camera operator for a spray operation. He demonstrates how during spraying, he pulls some sla- uh, flaps as he makes those incredibly high G turns to keep from stalling and to make tighter turns. He uses a GPS-based spraying software that paints his target field as he works, showing what has been sprayed and what remains to be treated. That's a great use of modern technology, isn't it? Oh, yeah. How a horizontal light bar on the aircraft nose just after the firewall gives left to right direction on where the plane needs to fly to accurately treat the field. That he always turns left while treating fields to work with the torque of the engine and for optimum pilot visibility. And while treating a field, the operator needs to watch their flow rate, gallons per minute, to make certain the field is being treated as needed. Not too much, not too little. The ride-along video is piloted by Butch Fisher, owner-operator of Fisher Ag Services of Cardington, Ohio. Fisher Ag has 35 counties in Ohio and has been in operations for 50 years. Butch began flying Bell 47s, and his current fleet include Ag Tractor 802s, 602s, 502s, and a pair of Cessna 188s. The video is from Ohio Agnet and Ohio's Country Journal, filmed by Agnet's Joel Pennerwood. And uh, then he gives us a link to These that YouTube. These have some YouTube. pretty ridiculous power to them, too, for the Ag Tractor. Mm-hmm. They've got a PT-6 engine, but it's the PT-6A65AG, mm-hmm. which produces apparently 1,295 shaft horsepower. Is that like more than a That's normal PT-6? a lot. Oh. So in this, uh, I forgot off the top of my head, a standard caravan with a... Uh, I'm going to get my numbers wrong because I don't fly that particular model mm-hmm. of airplane, but somewhere like in the 675 horsepower range. Oh. Ours ours is 900 horsepower, but it's not a PT-6. Uh-huh. So. Wow. So 1295. Yeah. 1295 is quite high. And yeah. the wingspan is 59 feet. Um, useful load, 9,450 pounds. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Stall speed, flaps down. Full 16,000 takeoff weight, 91 miles per hour, 79 knots. That's slow. That's kind of fast. Yeah. Well. Full flap, Full flaps? It's heavy. Well, I, okay. To, to me, that sounds really slow, but I Stall guess. Stall speed at usual of, landing weight, 54 knots. That sounds more. Oh. Okay. That sounds correct. Yeah. 
Uh, rate of climb at full weight, 780 feet per minute. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Takeoff distance, 2,000 feet at full weight. That's a lot. Yeah. It, it gets so it's heavy for the size that it is. That's why you need the 1,295 horsepower. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, um, sorry, uh, less that I didn't have the video all ready to go. But as I said, we'll have that in the show notes where everybody can click on it and watch it. And I'm definitely going to do that after we record the show. Jeff, we'll do Lindsay's, but let's go to the next one. Let's go to number nine, because it's kind of like those kind of planes you've just been talking about in a different way. So number nine. Okay. All right. Liz wants us to go to number nine. We'll go back to eight, but go to nine. And then we'll go back to eight. Uh, and the reason for this is that a somewhat associated uh, to that uh, feedback that we just uh, covered is uh, some feedback from Glenn. Aerotech firefighting planes fly Australia to France. Good day, everyone. I found this. Uh, he's from uh, down under, uh, from the Kurara Estate in uh, Kalangadu. Kalangadu. S.A. That sounds like South Australia. South Australia. Okay. South Australia? I found this no. Facebook okay. post by a firefighting operation here in South Australia. Oh, Pretty South impressive. Australia. Thought you may too. From the comments, they are sending four aircraft on a roughly 60-hour ferry flight to, to France to assist firefighting duties over there. That's a long way in a crop duster, says Glenn. Yes, you're right, Glenn. And so the article is talking about this... Um, uh, I guess this is a some kind of a social media post. Yeah, uh, Facebook. Looks like Facebook? a Facebook post. Okay. Uh, Aerotech Australia is traveling to Bordeaux, France, from Parafield Airport. Can we help fighting or fight fires in France? Yes, we can. Bordeaux, here we come. As long as you give us lots of free wine. I, I had <laughs> that part. Um, let's see. And then um, they show the route from Adelaide. Uh, Port Headland, Cocos Islands, Colombo, Sri, Sri Lanka, Muscat, Oman, Hurghada, Egypt, Luca Malta, Bordeaux, uh, Luca Malta, I guess in the middle of the uh, Med, Med, and then yeah. from there to Bordeaux. Approximately 60 planes. hours. Does the hopper convert to a ferry tank? Yes. Oh, that comes in there handy. That is, yeah. It's already built in. a lot in. of extra fuel. Yeah, a lot of extra fuel. Wow, can you imagine flying that stuff across nope. those big expanses of water? Well, I'm just thinking about the amount of time you're just sitting in a There are no autopilots in these things either, are there? I don't know. Probably, Probably not. not. Doesn't seem like you'd necessarily Great airplanes, for one of these. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very cool. Very airplanes. impressive, yeah. Well, thank you, Glenn, for letting us know about this. And I don't, how long ago was it that he sent this in? Because uh, uh, I hadn't heard about the uh, fires in France. I've heard maybe it's because you know we're kind of you know not very not close. in France. Yeah, we're not in France, or it, it doesn't border our country, so we're not really that concerned about it, I guess. Um, but it was it was a while back. It looks like this post was made on 17 of February, so maybe earlier this Ooh. year. Okay. Yeah, no, no, but he sent it in. Not, I, it hasn't been sitting in us. Yeah. Stuff okay. Yeah, but I'm wondering if uh, if they still have those fires going on right now or not. I think uh, it was sort of getting ready for the fire season. Oh, just getting ready for the fire season. Ah, I see. So not like they had active fires going. Okay. 
Great. Well, thank you, Glenn, for sending that. And he sent it in on the 13th of June. Okay. He just sent it uh, about a week ago. He sent it to us. Um, but uh, anyway, very cool that uh, the uh, Australians are there to help out any uh, effort to fight fires in France when necessary. All right. Back to number, Back to number uh, eight. Yeah. And uh, we have some audio feedback uh, from Lindsay. Uh, she says, here's some audio feedback since I only have a few minutes at a time to use my hands. She's on materni- maternity leave with a newborn. Also, here's a photo of baby Ian, who you can hear in the background of my feedback. Cheers. Aww. Yeah, and you can. Adorable. And it's, it's precious, actually. And there's a wonderful picture of Ian. And let's play her feedback. Hi there, APG community and crew. My name is Lindsay McNeil. I'm here in Chicago hanging out with my eight-week-old newborn baby named Ian. We are spending a lot of time together while I'm on leave, um, which has been nice, uh, a nice break from work, although it keeps me really busy. Um, Surprisingly enough, hanging out with newborn babies, you're not really able to use your hands a lot. Uh, A lot of time spent feeding, burping, playing, holding, trying to get these kids to go to bed. But I do have a lot of time um, to listen. So I've been listening to the podcast a lot and wondering why there's not like a uh, top 10 favorite episodes that I could pull from um so that way i don't have to spend a lot of time you have a lot of episodes and uh quite frankly i have the syndrome but i'm not going to spend that much time going all the way back to the beginning and listening to the current so yeah maybe if you have uh you know just some spare time uh maybe put together like a, a favorite top 10 apg episode list and uh i've got some time now for the next couple weeks before i have to go back to work and i'd love to listen to it anyway thanks so much for the podcast i enjoy listening as somebody who's just an av geek and uh can't wait to hear some more episodes see ya thank you Lindsay, for sending that in and it's so cute to hear um Lindsay's yeah. little little ian. voice i'm and sorry jeff if ian. you say Lindsay yeah, yeah. is the mother and Ian is the baby. Well, it's wonderful to hear Lindsay's wonderful voice, too. <laughs> yes. Both voices. Um, both and if you voice. say shimmy damper, we're not friends anymore. <laughs> you know that that's my first choice. <laughs> so uh, so Liz and I were t- discussing this uh, and thinking, like, oh, my gosh. Episode how, 200. Yeah, episode 200. 200 yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah, we mentioned. All right, go, with, go ahead with your list. That was, those were my two. No, uh, no. I mean, I didn't write it down, but uh, and I'm sure that we're going to have some um, contributions or suggestions from our community. From community. Yeah, we want them. Yeah, we want your suggestions for the top 10 best episodes in the, well, that we're on 575 right now. But 200 is a good one if you want to hear me crying at the end. And spilling beer all over the place. What'd you say, Liz? Five hundred is a good one. Five hundred, yeah, that's like five hundred is good because we cover a lot of our favorite episodes that occurred there in the first go. five hundred. Like yeah, the, the, you could get some top it's ten. The best of with the best there, of, yeah. Yeah. right? Um, but the um, the one that that uh, Steph mentioned um, is, is Talk for about everybody him. except oh Steph. Oh my gosh, is yeah. very entertaining. Um, 
And I just don't remember what number that was. But, I have uh, no idea. I think, um, it's, I think it's on, on 500 that we talk about. Yeah, on 500 we talk about that and episode. And the great beer spill at Nick's. The great beer talk. spill at uh, <laughs> Nick's place in, uh, in Liss. In the mm-hmm. in the UK and uh, that <laughs> oh yeah was fun. you can't miss that one and then uh, the the one where uh, <laughs> Captain Nick had a, a layover in Atlanta and we were in the hotel downtown and the we noise. kept hearing his beeping <laughs> we couldn't figure out what where's was. the beep where's <laughs> so the noise? we kept hearing this yeah that we also beep. mentioned that on five hundred yeah. Um, go to 500 she'll get some good stuff. yeah, yeah five, we'll have to compile those, those yeah yeah so 500 might be a good one to listen to to figure out what those shows were then you'll know which yeah. ones to, to kind of take take a look at um those are the ones that just you know immediately come to our mind um a lot of a lot of funny ones out there that's for sure mm-hmm. and thank you for taking the time I, I but you know she sent this in a little while ago so she may already be, be back to work now but um but uh, thanks for taking the time. Uh, I know you have limited use of your of your hands with a newborn, and uh, but thank you for uh, recording that. And uh, I, I think the community appreciates that effort. Yeah, we like audio feedback, and especially when it takes a little extra effort. And it kind of takes you there too. You know, you oh yeah. You know, we can Being actually hear your voice and hear your baby, and it's just like we're there with you in. In your place with your uh, in Chicago land in Chicago. So we got three minutes till the one hour mark. Three Jeff, minutes to the one hour mark. Oh, that's, yep. we're doing pretty well then. Yeah, number okay. ten. Okay, um, let's jump to ten, and this is from John. He says, "My first APG question. Hello, a- uh, airline pilot crew. I've been listening to APG for a number of years now, but this is my first feedback. So looking forward to hearing from you about my question." Before I got infected with APG syndrome, I do recall Jeff appearing on one episode of Airplane Geeks, a podcast I listened to at the time, although it doesn't get much look in at the moment as I try to maintain my currency on the APG three-hour podcasts. Sorry. Well done, John. (laughs) Yeah. I downloaded the latest APG episode at that time. Uh, These were the days when Jeff was flying solo without the current crew. And I do recall laughing about how I'd been listening for 30 minutes and Jeff was still on the introduction to the shuttle. <laughs> so some things never change. <laughs> Wait a minute. Can that be really true? 30 minutes on the intro? Oh, yeah. You're probably fiddling around with the audio. Ah, you don't remember? Lindsay, um, also, if you're still listening, maybe go back and listen to a few of those older ones so you can see just the they, – they were a little shorter, so they don't take up as much little, time. But not, not a great amount, but – if you like Jeff, you like those ones. Yeah. Anyway, and if you want, if you have, or you're having trouble going to sleep at night, we'll l- listen to those earlier ones where I just drone on forever. <sighs> okay. Uh, it was certainly a slower pace than uh, I was used to with other aviation-related podcasts I listened to: Airplane Geeks, Uncontrolled Airspace. Sorry to say, but I didn't subscribe at that time. Shame on me. I know. No, I understand. You know, there are a lot better. There's a lot better stuff out there. It got a lot better when we uh, started bringing on uh, co-hosts like Steph, who was the first. She's the most senior, and uh, Miami Rick. Uh, however, a little while later, I subscribed to the podcast and have been hooked since. Maybe I was a little impatient the first time I tried the podcast, but now I'm eagerly looking forward to each new episode. Jeff was still on his own, and I was taken with Jeff's dulcet tones and easygoing attitude. 
I've seen the crew grow over time, and it has been a real pleasure to also see the community grow. This must surely be one of the best podcasts out there, right? It surely must be. (laughs) Surely. The format of the show and the content and its delivery is superb. So I send my thanks to you for that. I love this guy. I know. Is he going to ask for something? Yes, he, a favor, he has a question. Favor request. Oh, he has a question. Okay, he says, I thought he was going to ask for like a, a, a favor or something. Or I don't something. know. Let's see. Oh, okay. uh, this is something that occurred to me while watching a landing recently at the airport, uh, waiting for our holiday. At what point in the landing is it normal to start the engagement of the thrust reversers? Nose gear touchdown, main wheel touchdown, or earlier, uh, for example, or in other words, before any wheels are in contact with the runway. Does this, it depends on the airplane there, uh, does this vary between aircraft types and company policies? Yes and yes. Are there any advantages, disadvantages between the various points of engaging engaging thrust reverse? I can imagine not so early that a go-around cue music can still be executed if necessary. So when the pilot is fully committed to the landing. He was cueing your music there, Jeff. Oh, I was cueing my music. Okay, do I have that all queued up? Of course I don't. Here, wait. Well, better late than never, I say. How about this one? I think it's uh, command option. You can yes. There we go. Coming down. Don't wait until your socks are sliding on the ground. You can always go around. All right. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to play that uh, sound clip. Okay. He says, all uh, with best wishes, John. Okay. So, thrust reverse is most effective at higher speeds. So when we first touch down, uh, the sooner that we can get the reverse or the thrust reverse out, thrust reversers uh, engaged and providing that reverse thrust, uh, the better. Now, just so that we're clear, um, some people, and I, I'm probably included in that group until I learned about jet engines and thrust reverse and all that kind of stuff. I, you know, I thought, oh, you know, the engine somehow starts pushing, you know, thrust out the front of the engine instead of the back. And that's, no, that's kind of impossible to happen. So what happens is the, the thrust that's coming out the back of the engine is just diverted by baffles and, or buckets uh, that uh, redirect the flow of thrust instead of going straight back, either like straight down and around the engine in the back, or sometimes if they're designed a certain way, they can actually go forward a little bit to kind of help arrest the speed of the aircraft. But they're most effective at higher speeds. Braking is most effective at the slower speeds. So, uh, that's um, so the sooner you can start reverse thrust, the better. And it depends on the airplane and how the reverse thrust system is activated and works. And it also sometimes depends on the standard operating procedures of the airline. Um, I flew an airplane that it was possible to use reverse thrust while you were still in the air. Not advisable, but you could do it. Possible. There was no, yeah, it was possible to do. And usually it was not with great results because as soon as you put the thrust reverse out, even if you're only a few feet above the runway, it's going Folk. to be a very firm touchdown. Folk. Yeah. Um, 
the uh, now there there was an airplane back in the day DC8s uh you could actually engage reverse thrust on the inboard engines in flight like up at hu- up at, you know mm-hmm. up in the air why like were you high. doing that what, what for why were they doing that they were doing that because they're um either they didn't have in-flight spoilers or the in-flight spoilers that they had. I don't recall what uh, the correct um, like air brake, answer to that. It was not very effective. And so using reverse thrust in-flight could down. help them descend Got faster. It. Got it. But I've been told, I've never flown that airplane, that when you used reverse thrust on the DC-8 inboard engines, it was not smooth. It was like it would shake the airplane like crazy. It was just not a comfortable thing. So they tried not to use that option uh, if they could help it. But most airplanes, uh, either they don't want you to deploy thrust reverse until your, you know, your your uh, main gear is on the runway surface. You've touched down. Or in some cases, the the way the system works, there are a bunch of um, sensors and downlocks and other devices that prevent the thrust reverse from working until it senses that the airplane is actually on the runway. There's weight on wheels, and then in some cases, um, and and this is the standard operating procedure part of it, where uh, when I first started flying the Mad Dog for Acme, they said uh, don't put the thrust reversers out until the nose wheel is like on its on its way down uh, approaching touching down on the runway and then they got to the point where no don't even put the reverse thrust out until the nose wheel is definitely on the runway uh, again that was just a, a procedure and not i mean you could put it out whenever you wanted to but they recommended or or basically told us we were not supposed to put reverse thrust until the nose wheel was on the runway. And the main reason for that is the uh, MD-80 series airplane, MD-90. Well, no, MD-80 uh, to be exact. They had bucket uh, buckets that came out behind and the aft part of the engines. and But they weren't straight up and down. They were kind of canted uh, inboard a little bit on the top and then outboard on the bottom. So when you put the buckets out, the reverse thrust, the flow of the uh, thrust would go up and angle toward the uh, the rudder of the uh, tail and that would reduce rudder effectiveness if you use too much reverse thrust uh, basically you know and that's one of the reasons why we had an airplane go off a runway um, up at uh, LaGuardia in icy icing conditions uh, slippery runway conditions and they used too much reverse thrust which essentially uh, reduced the effectiveness of the rudder to keep the uh, airplane going, tracking down the uh, runway. Um, but um, huh, what else? Uh, Staff, do you have anything to kind of add or clarify um, regarding reverse thrust? No, I think of it more, I mean, I think you did a good job of explaining it for jet engines. Um, similar concept kind of with turbo props all you're doing is changing the blade angle so that again you're directing thrust forward it doesn't reverse the direction of spin they're still spinning the same way still spinning the same way you just go from that flat or fine position to negative uh, pitch angle and then air is going to be directed forward as opposed to and that's very effective much more effective than reverse thrust on a jet engine uh, that i've experienced anyway uh, when you're in a prop airplane but uh, for my airplane you're not doing that in flight at all (laughs) That's a no-no. <laughs> no-no. Um, on the ground, if you need it. 
And are there systems that prevent that from engaging or supposed mm-hmm. to help prevent well, that? Well, I mean, from aside from having a, yeah, a, a detent with the power lever, so you'd mm-hmm. have to actually pull the. Um, but if you did that, you could, you could possibly do that, could, right? Which would not yeah. be advisable. That would be bad. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Don't do that. Yeah. And what's interesting to me, and I've, I think I've mentioned this on previous shows where when we're actually flying an airplane, to me, everything in my mind is is uh, time compressed, where like the 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 time that it takes us to go from the final approach fix to flaring for landing seems like a pretty quick amount of time. But when you look at replays, if somebody's taking a video or whatever, it just seems to, or you're listening to uh, audio um, transmissions from like checking in ETC, over the final approach yeah. fix to touching. It just seems like it's a lot longer. So I don't know why that is, but uh, I've noticed that when I'm actually flying the airplane, I touch down, I put the reversers out. It seems like they're coming out immediately, but I've seen all these replays of videos, passenger videos, you know, you know, pointed out, and you can actually see the engines and the reverse thrust being activated. And I'm thinking, man, it seems like it took them forever it usually seems like at least a reverse. few seconds before they're engaged. Yeah, like several seconds sometimes yeah. it seems that uh, before you start seeing any of that reverse thrust activity going on. But um, so I guess it depends on the reverse thrust systems on the particular engines. And again, also a little bit on the uh, the policy for the airline as far as when to put them down, whether you have to note, have the nose gear down before you activate them or whatever. Um, I do remember just one little anecdote. Uh, when I was flying the uh, L-1011 for the first time, it was my uh, initial operating um, experience, and we were coming back into Atlanta, and I landed the airplane, and I put the reversers out, and the line check airman like almost freaked out. He go, he like pushed forward on the yoke, and and like almost yelled, and I'm going, what, what am I doing wrong, you know, and. Uh, he said, no, no, you, you put them out way too early or you got to wait until the nose wheels. Yeah, anyway, I don't exactly know what I did wrong. It just seemed normal to me, but apparently um, it was something of concern to the line check airman at the time. So I never, ever did that again after that little experience. When you hear somebody that you're flying with start, you know, like almost screaming, it's probably a sign that you're not doing something right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's not what you want to hear. Yep. Speaking about history. Speaking of history, number 11. Oh, this is good. That's a good one. Number 11. Anthony, here's some Delta, uh, I mean, Acme history. Love the show. Looking forward to an RDU area meetup one day. Raleigh Durham, the Golden Triangle. Um, yeah, I don't golden ever triangle. get to Raleigh. No, not the Golden Triangle. <laughs> research the, Triangle. Research. There, I'm sorry. Golden Triangle is uh, where I went uh, in pilot training in the Air Force, uh, the uh, Columbus, West Point, and Starkville area. Uh, they called that okay. the Golden Triangle. But this is, the, you're right, the uh, Research Triangle of uh, North Carolina, Raleigh and Durham, and uh, some other surrounding Chapel communities. Mm-hmm. Chapel Hill. Yep. That's where they mm-hmm. used to have us lay over in a really old here. historic oh, yeah. hotel. I'd rather talk about Chapel Hill and our layovers, Liz. No, okay. Um, I'll, I'll continue with this. Um, <laughs> I can't hear what Liz is saying, but she goes. She's, just she's like, trying to get me back uh, on track. Back uh-huh. to the feedback, Jeff. Okay. Um, so Anthony sent this um, this pic, this image, 
And it says, uh, on June 12, 1930, Delta expanded passenger service east to Atlanta and west to Fort Worth. And uh, they have a picture here of an aircraft, uh, a beautiful airplane, I have to say. And I, you know, honestly, I had no idea that in 1930 that Delta was flying 757s. <laughs> I mean, it's a that's an incredibly clear picture for a 1930s photograph. It is. Yeah. Very clear. Did they even have lots color? of color? Yeah, I don't know. Lots I think of it was color black and white picture. back then, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. So I would imagine in 1930 the airplane looked a little bit different. It was a little bit less saturated uh, color. And uh, so where yeah. was the base of Delta then, Jeff? Where, where is it? The I had base to look up the of Delta back then, nineteen Macon, founded in Macon, Georgia. In yeah, well, Macon slash Monroe, and, Louisiana. Yeah, Monroe, Louisiana. I think that stuff's right. I think the very, very infancy of Delta occurred in Macon, Georgia, and then not long after that, the crop dusting. It was a crop dusting company yep. uh, that moved to Monroe, Louisiana. The the, the Mississippi River Delta, which means right. the area of the Mississippi where a lot of flooding and a lot of agricultural land is. Mm -hmm. And they needed um, crop dusting aircraft to spray stuff on they were all the, the agriculture. Huff de land dusters. The Huff initially. de land dusters, you're correct. And uh, then at uh, at some point, 1928 or something very early, uh, late, late 20s. They uh, started uh, doing passenger service, and we're talking this like what, like first, three to six passengers or something. The first like. passenger flight was from Dallas, Texas, to Jackson, Mississippi, with stops in Shreveport and Monroe, Louisiana. There you go. Hmm. And what's interesting about that, uh, the airplanes they were using carried very few passengers. And when I started flying for Acme, which is very similar to this company that we're sister airlines, about here. sister, yeah, sister airlines. Airline. Uh, we were flying the 727 almost along the same exact routes, going from Dallas, Treeport, Monroe, uh, Jackson, uh, Birmingham, Atlanta, you know, kind of following the old uh, original routes of Delta Airlines back in the 30s. So it's pretty yeah. cool. Nice. There's what? a, uh, I'm, I'm just looking at, there's a history fact sheet on. Delta's website that has all that oh, information. Very cool. I can send it to you for the show notes. Yeah, thank like. you. That'd be great. We'll include that in the show notes. All right. Um, let's continue on with uh, this from Swansea Mark, Mark Anderson, not uh, Captain Nick's brother in Canada. This is um, uh, the one, the, the uh, cardio yeah, cardiac. Uh, surgeon, yep. cardiac surgeon. Um, in the UK, or cardiologist. I don't know what the exact term is, but um, anyway. And is he I, a cardiologist or a cardiothoracic surgeon? I don't know. What, what is he, Liz? He's a cardiologist. Cardiologist, I think. Works with the CAA there. Works with the CAA. And uh, I'm hoping that I'll get a chance to uh, uh, see him while I'm there in the UK uh, in the next few weeks. It says, hi, Jeff, Nick, Steph, Liz, and all the APG crew. Long time, no feedback from me, but the couple who got fined by Jetstar for wearing all their clothes to get their baggage weight down reminded me of an episode with my family a few, few years back. Audio feedback attached. Best wishes to all. Mark. Now, I don't think you were with us, Steph, were you? When they, no, they I don't think that? so, but I have a story about wearing 
multiple layers of clothing okay. for similar airlines. All right, we'll hear from that after we hear yes. from Mark. Hello, Captain Jeff, Captain Nick, Dr. Steph, and the rest of the APG crew. It's Swansea Mark here, the one that's not Nick's brother. Uh, I uh, enjoyed last week's uh, APG 573, and particularly the uh, video of the couple in Australia who got fined by Jetstar for trying to wear all their clothes to avoid paying for excess baggage. It reminded me of an episode that happened to me and my family about 10 years ago in Madeira. Uh, my wife and our two teenage kids uh, had gone there for a week's holiday and uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, Madeira it's a small island out in the Atlantic with a nice climate for chilling out uh, but he also has some fantastic uh, walking and hiking trails and uh, as well as all our beach gear we'd uh, taken our walking boots and poles and waterproofs because it rains quite a lot there sometimes um, so on the way out, we were pretty heavy with our total baggage at 75 kilos with an allowance of 80 kilos for the four of us. Uh, we were flying with that well-known UK low-cost carrier, Acme Orange. Uh, on the way back, uh, we all got to the airport in plenty of time and the weather was really hot, so we were just wearing shorts and t-shirts and sandals. And perhaps inevitably, when they weighed our bags, the total baggage weight was uh, 81.2 kilos. And the gate agent proposed to charge me 70 euros uh, for my 1.2 kilos of excess baggage. Uh, now, I might have paid up, but I'd already had the attempted rip-off by the car hire company for a scratch that had already been there when we picked the car, the car up at the airport uh, the week before. Luckily, I had the photos to prove that. Um, so I politely offered to uh, swap into our hiking boots so that we could bring our baggage weight down whilst the gate agent checked in a, a couple of people behind us. Uh, but she was having none of that, um, perhaps because there was a supervisor standing behind her. Uh, and she said if we, uh, we wanted to do that, we'd have to go to the back of the queue, which by now had about 120 people waiting to check in. Anyway, I was in no mood for messing about, so... The whole family tramped to the back of the queue. We made a very public display to the amusement of our fellow passengers of taking our sandals off and putting our hiking boots on. And then we waited gradually to get back to the front of the check-in queue. And of course, when they weighed our bags again, they were now just 78.6 kilos. So the agent scowled at us and threw the boarding cards at me and then scowled at us again when we uh, gave the cards back to us as we got onto the plane. Uh, but anyway, the message of my feedback is uh, if you're polite and uh, you're not too overweight and you don't make too much of a show of actually uh, changing your baggage around, you might get away with a repack uh, to save you a heinous excess baggage charge. Anyway, is still enjoying the show. Keep up the good work. I'm hoping I might see Captain Jeff while he's in the UK, although I seem to have contrived to leave the country at the same time he arrives. And uh, good luck to all. Take care. Bye-bye. Oh, no. Thanks, Liz. She goes, smart. <laughs> <laughs> You're not funny. Uh, um, well, I'm, I'm sad to hear that, Mark. I would have loved to have uh, uh, met up with you. Um, but... Uh, I don't, you know, I don't see anything at all unreasonable about, it's not like the situation where we saw the, uh, the, the couple, 
you know, like putting on absolutely everything they Every had Every last there. piece of clothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was very ridiculous. And they were having such a great time and laughing and everything else, of course, and drawing a lot of attention, attention to themselves, which was kind of their downfall. They might as well have just put on some giant inflatable dinosaur costumes. And yeah, that would be like... Who that definitely that? doesn't draw attention to you in the airport. <laughs> I just want to... Yeah, so what's your story, Steph? Uh, so I was traveling to uh, Orlando to go to Disney World for a half marathon in February. Um, and it just so worked out that um, at the time, I think they still have these flights, um, but Allegiant was flying from Concord to Orlando Sanford. And I don't know, I must not have uh, been very far into my career at the time of this because uh, the flight prices were quite um, appealing. So I said, ah, heck, I'll give that a try. Um, but you know, as standard with low cost, ultra low cost carriers, there's a fee for everything else aside from your initial ticket. So I was like, well, now it's a game. So I'm going to make sure that I don't pay a single extra cent for this flight because the whole reason to take it was the cost savings. Um, so I would have had to pay to choose my seat if I wanted to, or to have any baggage on board that was larger than like the size of a medium-sized purse. So I'm going to Orlando for a weekend for a marathon or a half marathon, which requires a little bit of gear, not anything crazy. It's pretty warm there even in February. So I wasn't planning on, you know, I didn't need winter clothes, but it was February in Charlotte, which can actually be quite chilly. Um, But that actually worked out to my favor. So what I did was I wore my warm clothes on the outside and I may or may not have worn um, a layer or two of things that I was planning to wear in Disney World, packed my running gear specifically into the purse that I had that yeah, running gear dimensions. It's nothing, right? And um, yeah, got on the airplane. Very so, good. Yeah, made it. But then as soon as I got to Orlando and got off the airplane, I had to run into the women's restroom to shed multiple layers of clothing because it was quite warm. <laughs> and then I had nowhere exhausted. to put it. I didn't have a bag to put my <laughs> oh. stuff into. <laughs> I had to like carry it out to my rental car and plop it in the back seat. <laughs> Dropping pieces of clothing uh, all know, the way down. Yeah, it was kind of, it was, it was pretty comical actually. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you beat the system. How about on the I, way back? Were you still able to? Uh... Yes, because it was actually kind of chilly in Orlando. So it worked out to actually like oh. throw all my clothes on in advance and yeah, Excellent. just do it in reverse. So it right. worked out. Yeah. Killed it. That's the one and only time I've ever flown that particular ultra low cost carrier. All right. But how I had was, a good experience. How was the I had a great experience, experience on the airplane. Was it? Yeah, it was great. I mean, okay. it was a flight. It's not that long of a flight from yeah. here to there. So were they, were the seats were the like small and close together and all that kind of stuff? You know, they're, they were just normal. They were just normal. I mean, yeah. especially having having flown on, uh, I don't know, other carriers around the, the world. I find mm-hmm. that that's actually kind of standard in a lot of places. I think okay. we're just used to more seat pitch yeah. and width and room and cushy cushions. And I don't know. I'm kind of small. I'm no spoiled, frills. Spoiled Americans. Yeah. yeah, basically. We've got about five minutes left, Jeff. Okay. Five. Um, about five minutes. Um Hmm. Do you want to do Teclas and Lashok? He was in the, the chat. Yeah, is, is Texas with us? He was here uh, uh, when we started recording part two. Number 16. And uh, number 16. 
Christine um, uh, from Texas and Lashock. The Little Museums on the Prairie. Greetings, Captain Jeff and APG crew. In the course of my travels, I have frequently passed by a place that I felt I should check out. Recently, I had some extra time and so decided to go and visit the Silent Wings Museum at the Lubbock Preston Smith International Airport, LBB. Located inside the original airport terminal, the museum is, as the name suggests, dedicated to the history of military gliders, particularly the Waco. Oh, okay. Um, particularly the Waco, would be Waco, right? Uh, CG4, also known as the Hadrian. There are quite a few artifacts spread throughout several exhibits, starting from a general overview of aviation history up to World War II era. The design and manufacturing process, which also included the Steinway & Sons Company as a contractor, they're a grand piano uh, manufacturer. Uh, the training process, and the development into combat. combat. The centerpiece of the museum is a restored GC-4, a Waco GC-4, that had been placed on top of a tire shop and used as its billboard. The glider was acquired by the National World War II Glider Pilots Association and restored in 1979 and is placed on display not far from Dallas, Texas, before being moved to its current location in Lubbock, where many glider pilots trained. It is now located in a display room with large windows looking out over the tarmac toward the new terminal, giving a good view of the day's flights. There are several other gliders there of various types as well as a um, various types, as well as a diorama of living quarters trainees would have had. In the landing zone room, the front section of another glider is portrayed just after landing with the two pilots lifting the nose to unload the Jeep stored inside. Yay, Jeep! Uh, around the room are some of the items that would be delivered via glider, the aforementioned Jeep, the half-ton trailers that could be hooked to them, small bulldozers, and mobile artillery. They also have representations of the poles the Germans erected, Rommel's asparagus, as obstacles to prevent landings. Oh, that's not fair. Uh, there are also displays of the various campaigns the gliders participated in, the equipment the crews used, and what the pilots did after landing. Usually it was to make their way back to a pickup zone, but sometimes they'd fi just find themselves stuck with the infantry. Uh, they got more organized and developed better procedures as time went on, of course, but before the, that, the return could get a little chaotic with pilots sometimes having to beg, borrow, or steal a ride back. There are also smaller displays about the Glider Pilots Association, including a bottle of champagne to be reserved for a drink between the last two gliders, glider pilots left, a toast that occurred in 2018. Oh, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. There is also a section about the space shuttle, specifically Shuttle Enterprise, and her time testing glide and landing procedures, and who would you get to fly the thing, while doing this, but some of the World War II glider pilots. The following day, I was in Big Spring for another job as I was finishing up past by the Hangar 25 Museum. Uh, again, I had time and the price was right, free, so I popped in. This is a considerably smaller outfit, mostly dedicated to the, to the training of bombardi uh, bombardiers that took place here. They didn't have any actual bombers, so they used Beach AT-11 Kansans, 
with noses modified to let trainees practice with bomb sites. They have several planes in their collection, mostly trainers, though they also have an A-10 rescue simulator and the front of a B-52 that you you can climb up in uh, through the actual underside hatch, no less. It's a bit cramped in there, despite the size of the plane. One more place is a bit further north in Amarillo, where they have the Panhandle War Memorial. What initially drew my attention was when driving by, I noticed a small pavilion with USS Arizona BB-39 on it, which got me curious as to why it was there. When I finally stopped there, I found out that they actually have a piece of Arizona on display. There doesn't seem to be any local connection other than someone managed to get the Navy to allow them to have it, uh, part of which was recently cut off and sent to the electric boat shipyards to be melted down into part of, of the hull of the new USS Arizona, SSN-803. That's cool. But that's just what drew my attention to it. Otherwise, the place honors veterans of all five U.S. services and has a number of artifacts from all wars the United States has participated in, most donated by local veterans. They do also have a couple of aircraft out in their memorial garden, one helicopter and a fighter, looked to be an F-100 Super Saber. It was $5 for me to get in, but apparently vets can get in free. So anyway, just a few places of interest I've come across. I think this is perhaps the longest email I've ever sent in, so I better wrap up soon. Yeah, you better. This is Texas Ann Lashock. He's in the chat Signing room. off. Yeah. And he's here with us in our live mm-hmm. audience, our live chat room. And uh, thank you so much for sending it. He's He seems to be a, quite an aviation history aficionado. Yeah. I love the cartoon with the uh, Jeep as payload with the caption that says, uh, if they hadn't opened that glider nose by mistake, we'd never known what these things can do. <laughs> and they're like in the Jeeps driver and passenger seat of this Jeep. Aerodynamic. <laughs> that does yeah. not seem like it would bode well for them. It would, I don't think it would go well for the Jeep, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, those things are pretty sturdy, aren't they, Steph? They are. I mean, you put it under a, a decent-sized parachute, it would probably come gently down to the yeah, ground. Yeah, it doesn't look like they had a parachute Suspe- on No, that, that one, one doesn't have it. That one's no. just gliding. Yeah. But the so, soft top can be like kind of a parachute. Uh, I'm going to say it's not going to function well as a glider. <laughs> no? In any configuration. Like okay. a rock. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was perfect yeah. timing. We're just at the one-and-a-half-hour mark. Anyway. Okay. Good well, stuff. Uh, Liz is telling us that uh, this is perfect timing for us to end part two. Uh, unless you have anything to add, Steph? I do not. Okay. Well, you do have a little bit of work left before we end the show. And, of course, we are going to talk about, first, our website, uh, which is airlinepilotguy.com. And there are lots of different things that you can check out there. And we're also on social media, what I like to call the social meds. And Steph is our social media expert, and she's going to tell us all about our presence. Well, if you, dear listener, are a social media aficionado, uh, please visit us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash airlinepilotguy. You can also head over to Twitter. Our handle is at APGCrew, and you can find our individual handles pinned to the top of that page. And also on Instagram, APGCrew is where you'll find us. Uh, Nick does post each week's uh, show art there for you to admire and enjoy. Um, if you want a deeper dive, more uh, social connection to the community, I would suggest Slack. And I'm hoping that Hillel is in his usual perch 
on his usual perch in the bathroom, maybe the throne, uh, uh, possibly, or the shower, possibly. possibly. Steph, you're such a pro at this social media stuff. Thank yes. you. Um, and oh, wait. Speaking of the devil, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I knew he would be there. Yeah, he's always here. Hey, Steph. No, not Steph. No. Hello. Okay, but I'm dripping wet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He'll respond to any name. <laughs> Steph, hello, whatever. Yeah. Come over here and tell us, even though you're dripping wet as please usual, please Steph. tell us all about Steph. No, about Steph. <laughs> APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha, Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thank you, Hillel. Appreciate it. Yeah. He's such a professional, too. Yeah, he is. Where's the soap? The soap dish. Although, more and more hotels I go to, like the last one I stayed in. You're going to run out of had no hotel bar soap, soap at all. No. No. Mm-mm. They forced Mm-mm. me to use that stupid shower gel. So, the last hotel I was at last weekend, just a quick yeah. aside, had bar soap. One little thing of shampoo, no conditioner, no lotion, and shower gel in the shower which it was like mounted on the wall and it mm-hmm. fell off in the middle of the night and made a huge racket <laughs> you thought somebody was breaking into your room probably right we were like what was that <laughs> well now stuff with a bar of soap yes you can use the soap for the body and your hair you can it's- but this requires some conditioner <laughs> yeah i was gonna, gonna say, say. It, yeah, not a lot of conditioning involved in using bar soap for your Humidity hair. Humidity has not been my friend today I, either, if you're watching the video. <laughs> I have used bar soap in a pinch, though, when I realized that there was no, no shampoo. shampoo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's just soap. It'll so. work. It just Thanks. takes out a lot more of the oil, natural oils yeah, in your hair. Very dry. <laughs> <laughs> like all of the oil in your hair. Anyway, um, we uh, digress here. Okay, well, uh, thank you, Hillel, for telling us about Slack. And thank you uh, to our live audience, uh, who is always there supporting us and keeping us apprised of everything. And and sometimes they're even helpful in helping us answer things on the show. And also, we'd like to thank our producer, Liz, who is amazing, who kind of basically puts all this stuff together each and every week. And... uh, She's awesome. And uh, we really, truly couldn't do it. Keeping all of this on track. Yeah. I'm trying. I guess we could do it without her, but it would really kind of suck. It would suck. (laughs) You used to do it. I don't know how you did it. I know, but people were used to the sucky kind of, you know, (laughs) thing back then. And now they're used to this better My pleasure. I'm really glad Steffi could join us for a minute. Yeah, me too. Me too. And um, I hope that everybody uh, has a great week, great weekend, and we hope that we'll uh, see you again next week on the next episode. And until then, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, talents, Douglas. Cheers, y'all. Hi, everybody. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot.
Good day. a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline, not a guy I fly Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy I fly a oh, metal Airline, not a guy 